Zimbra, this is You Talking Talking Heads to My Talking Head, the comprehensive and encyclopedic compendium of all things talking heads. This is good rock and roll music. Sure is. Sure is. Welcome to the show. Um, we're going to be talking. Was that? Were you singing? I just was. Then? I, it sounded really. As a matter good. of fact, you know, singing is just speaking on pitch, my dear boy. And I certainly had a lot of that. But uh, uh, this. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, th- this is a very special episode. We're going to be talking about Talking Heads' um, album. True stories from 1986. We will be talking about that today, and we have a very special guest uh, with us to talk about that. And um, he is the lead singer and uh, songwriter of the incredible band Vampire Weekend. Ezra Koenig will be here with us um, to talk about this record. That's uh, uh, an incredible get. And um, talking about this record, I mean, um, an incredible yeah, get for Ezra. us to be to be able to talk about this record. <laughs> <laughs> not every day that you get to talk about this record. No, That's all we're we've saying. We've talked about a lot of records, but not this one. And so nope. incredible to talk about this one. Um, my name is Scott Ackerman. I am the host of You Talking Talking Heads to My Talk. What is our acronym? U-T-T-H-2... M T H. Is that what it would be? That sounds right. <laughs> Thank you. You weren't keeping track of it. It just sounds right to you. you no, it sound it like had a, a real speaking of music, it had a music to it that yeah, sounded a musicality, a certain rhythmic nature to it. Yeah. It like an oral aesthetic. Um by the way, I got to talk about uh, when we talk about true stories, I got to talk about that the reissue was produced by Andy Zachs with Talking Heads. So make sure I don't forget to talk about that, okay? Okay, I'll make sure. <laughs> I'll remind you repeatedly. <laughs> um, I Who's wa- Andy Zachs? Uh, well, let's check him out. Uh, he's an American musician, historian, and a Grammy nominated producer of music reissues. And he's got the most awesome Wikipedia pay- uh, picture. <laughs> <laughs> Where he's not looking into camera, he's kind of looking off. Um, Andy Zachs, you're a legend. We love you if you're listening. Um, and uh, he worked on uh, the Woodstock reissue in 2005, a lot of stuff. But check out his Wikipedia photo. What's right, your Wikipedia I'm looking, photo? I'm looking for it. I'm looking for Andy Zachs. He's, uh, his name, oh, here we go. I've shared my screen. Why are you not just- I know, but I'm, I'm looking, because yours is- Oh, yeah, that's a great photo. He looks like uh, Tommy Wiseau in that photo. Yeah, he does look like Tommy Wiseau. Blow it, like, click on it and blow it up. It's, like, <laughs> super grainy and fuzzy. Yeah, it's just a that's shitty photo. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't complain about uh, Wikipedia photos because mine was so terrible for so long until I finally asked my listeners to... Because you can't change it 
because you have to own the photo or you have to attribute the photo to something or whatever. So I, I couldn't, see. I couldn't just upload one of my own for a long time because I didn't own, you know, the photo- photographers own the photo. I understand. Oh, my God. He's married to Lisa Jane Persky, I'll tell you that much, from the, the great Santini and Peggy Sue got married. Sure. Um, I do want to introduce my cohort. He is... Uh, partner in crime. You can yep. call me that. Partner in crime. I like P-I-C. the sound of that. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. We should commit crimes together. I agree. Like felonies, like serious shit. Yes. Yes. Stuff that we could be put away for like 150 years. For. I would love that. I, you know what I would love to do is I would love to uh, co-adopt a baby with you. Yeah. And then um, watch it grow to maturity, um, learn to love it, and uh, uh, raise it until finally it graduates high school. And then we pull a Felicity Huffman and lie about uh, 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 get, getting our son or daughter into uh, uh, college with you. I'd love to do that as a couple. That would be fun. That would I would get a charge. Uh, out of that. I think yeah. the adrenaline is is what, first and foremost, it would be the adrenaline rush for Adam, me. I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm an adrenaline junkie. I was about to say the same thing about myself. I am a, an adrenaline junkie. Like, I can't get enough of it. Like, whether it's jumping out of an airplane mm. or just having a really hot debate with a friend adrenaline oh my god when i I have a hot debate with a friend or just a regular debate with a hot friend oh my god adrenaline 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 pumping through my veins is that where it comes from the veins adrenal glands your adrenal glands are inside your veins spoken like a true hollywood celebrity knowing where those adrenal glands are so you can adrenals (laughs) adrenochrome i love being able to to just place exactly where they are too (laughs) i get adrenaline from that yeah it's life is full of adrenaline life is just uh one big rush is it not it sure is i get i get a big charge out of absolutely everything I, from the moment I wake up in the morning, that alarm clock, that gets the adrenaline just pumping. Just pumping through my veins. Taking my first morning whiz, my first of two morning whizzes. (laughs) Boom, boom, boom. (laughs) Adrenaline. Or that's three morning whizzes. Boom, boom, boom. 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 (laughs) Um, Did I introduce you? I don't even know, but he, did I? He's, let me do it. I could do it again. Let me me give you a better. Did I? Wait, no, I said that you were... I don't even think I did. It doesn't matter. Who cares? People people don't know who you are. You're talking. People, they do. I, I they saw sure. the album cover because they buy the vinyl every two weeks when the show comes out. You think this is a record? Well, yeah, that's a, how people listen to it. They get the record at the store and they bring it home oh. and they put it on the record player. You think you're a musician? I'm a singer in a rock and roll band called... <laughs> Are you talking talking heads to my talking head? Right? I have, I have some bad is news not, for you. Is that not no, right? no, you you're just a podcast co-host. You're not even a podcast host. Well, hold on a second. That actually sounds better than what I was what I thought we were doing. Why like name another podcast? Uh The Rolling Stones. Mm, no, again. <laughs> again, you are severely off base with this, Adam, hmm. I have to say, no. 
this is a podcast which is uh, basically just two dudes talking about music. And okay. and on, on this show, we talk about a band. I see. Okay. That, but that's okay, right? That's fine. As long as it means the bit ends, I'm fine with it. <laughs> it's going to end right now. Okay. Um, he is the uh, author of that bit that we just did. Welcome to the show, Adam Scott. Hello, Thank Adam. you very much. Thank you. You just waved at fans, at imaginary fans. <laughs> Thank or, you. Or you were waving at me and Kevin. I'm not quite sure. But um, great to have you, you on the show. Feel, how do yeah. you feel about the album we're going to be exploring today? Um, well, like, if no I, spoilers, but how do you no feel? No spoilers. God, how do I talk about this without using spoilers? Um, mm. I think it's good. No, I can't say that. Um, no, 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 no. It has songs on No, I can't say that there are songs on You know, the the single, Wild Wild, no, I can't say that either. Just use colors. Just explain your feelings in colors. Um, sh- Chartreuse. Okay, all right. Mixed with magenta. Magenta, burnt fine. Burnt sienna. Burnt sienna, okay. Essentially take right. an entire crayon box filled with, crayon what's, box, the, yeah. what's the biggest one that they make? A hundred and... 20 maybe 120 crayons all right yeah yeah and then just melt them together in the microwave that is the band talking heads and you will have true star are you writing this down what's going on yeah i'm writing it all down these aren't instructions these aren't like directions aren't instructions writing that down okay please write that more at the top though because what i'm worried about is you're going to do all of this you're going to melt crayons in an actual microwave and until you get to the part where it says don't do this get to the part you're going to be mid doing all this and you're going to ruin your microwave doing this and ruin your microwave okay what else Can this bit end? <laughs> I, I, I think I think it's ending right now. Um, I, I I am excited to talk to our guest. We have not. Uh, yeah, uh, he we, came we had on him, the REM. Yeah, he was program. on the REM program, um, and then we saw him live at the Hollywood Bowl. And we have not. Uh, I mean, I haven't spoken to him since then. Um, mainly Hell because no. I was so mad at him. <laughs> Me too. For inviting us to that show. And I'm just livid. I'm going to fucking tell him when he comes on here as well. I'm going to tell it to his face. Do it. Well, his Zoom face. Fuck yeah. I'm not, I'm not afraid. Cares. Um, Who cares? Um, Everything good in your life, Adam? You, uh, you're in New York City, obviously. You're filming your new show, which I've been reading about. Um, And uh, Christopher Walken, Christopher Walken added to the cast. And Christopher Walken, John Turturro. Have you done your Christopher Walken impression to him yet? Or hello, <laughs> he loves it. He loves it. This is the first thing I, I did love when it. I met him. Hello, yes, my wife, my wife. Hello, he my it. wife, Jean-Cui. Jean-Cui, Christopher Walken, Walken, Jean-Cui. I'm walking. I'm going to do here. that. I'll do that tomorrow. I'll do that tomorrow. Yeah, do it tomorrow. Just go up to him and just say, do do your best Christopher Walken, but say, my wife, to him and yeah. see how he reacts. Don't say my anything wife. else. <laughs> I love I'll, that. And could I'll, I'll you tape record it. it? Could you tape record it just so yeah, we I'll video it. <laughs> I'll ask him to video it. Oh, okay. Could you like give him your phone, turn on the camera and say like, just hold this up and tape me yeah. doing this to you. 
<laughs> he would love that, I bet. I'm sure. I'm sure he'll love it. Have you ever considered being like a real eccentric person? You know, like, like you know, sort of what uh, Joaquin Phoenix was like pretending to do with mm-hmm. his whole thing. But have you ever thought like, boy, if I, you, you know, during your Adam Quadrero, Quadrero days, mm-hmm. Cordero, Cordero, yeah. Cordero days, uh, did you ever think about any affectations that you could, you could do? I to think make- I had many affectations <laughs> in those <laughs> like days. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, boy. I mean, there were, there were a lot. It's hard to, I'm trying to think. What about you? I'm sure you were pr- a pretentious 22 year old or 20 year old. Yeah, 20 well, year old. That's how old I was when I was going through the Cordero days. I've talked about this on another podcast, but I, uh, when I went to acting college, I, um, told everyone that I had a nickname that I didn't have. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> what was the nickname? Uh, Jackson. I was like, call me Jackson. Uh, <laughs> oh, just and not because uh, I wanted to be called Jackson, but because it was a joke. Sort yeah. of. <laughs> and then, and instantly all of the teachers knew that I was fucking with them. And they, for six months, were like, can you just cut the... D-? They were like trying yeah, different tactics on how to get me to stop it. And they were like, you know, your name is sort of your calling card in this business. And um, you want to be known throughout your career as the the thing you want to be professionally known as. So shouldn't you, you know, go back to your original name if that's what you're, yeah. you know. <laughs> but no, I just did it the entire time I was there at school and made, oh my God. made friends call me that. Anyway, that was my affectation. That's pretty, that's... That's really embarrassing, but really like sweet and funny for like a kid, you know? Yeah. No, I was too old for it. How old were you at that point? I was 20, 21. No, that's like that you're a kid. I guess I'm a kid. Yeah. At what point do you think someone stops being a kid? Like, I don't know, 57? <laughs> the Heinz. Isn't that legally when you're not a kid anymore? It's I think so. Yeah. So you've you never- get all that free catch up? You've never dated anyone who's under 57, I hope. No, no, no. Of course not. Your wife is, how old is she? My my wife. <laughs> my wife, Christopher do, Walken. Do the Christopher Walken, my wife. Oh, let me get into Christopher Walken somehow. My wife. What does what, what he say? What is, what's the way into Christopher Walken? It's well, like, what's hello. The, like, cri- yeah, I, the Christopher Walken impression. Hello. When was that that everyone was doing that? Was that like, like everyone did it on SNL? Like Jim Brewer must have done it. And, yeah, somewhere. Hello. Jay Moore. Jay Moore. Hello. Hello. Is that what it was? Yeah, yeah. Hello, my wife. Hello. Yeah, that's something solid. like that. Really solid. What about Yoda doing Anthony Kiedis doing mm-hmm. Christopher oh, yeah. Walken? <laughs> Doing Borat. Hello. Okay, first of all, Yoda trying to Yoda trying to do Christopher Walken. Let's take it to that level. So he's oh, like, no. this is just regular Yoda. He's like, mm, hello, Yoda I am. Christopher Walken impression I shall do. Hello. <laughs> Low hell. <laughs> Low hell. <laughs> okay, now add the level of of Christopher Walken doing Borat onto Yoda. I hated just just as a sidebar. I yeah. hated in the prequels when Yoda started talking in that, like switching up the the beginnings of yeah. sentences. You know, because in the origin, in like Empire Strikes Back and stuff, he didn't really do that that much. Yeah, but it became like, a thing. Oh my like, god! In like the prequels, where he's like spinning around and 
jumping all over the room with the lightsaber. This is like the eighth time you've brought this up on this Is it really? Is it? You hate this with with such a passion. I've never talked about the... The like sentence construction. That no, you know, but you've talked about Yoda spinning. How much around. I hate Yoda! <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I love that this is like I hate the worst thing I that's hate, ever happened to you. <laughs> I hate that I hate that way more than I hate it. <laughs> I hate that I hate it that much. All right, let's do Yoda doing Christopher Walken doing Borat. Okay, so let me get into Yoda again. Hmm, Yoda. Hello, Yoda. my wife. <laughs> Hello, my wife. <laughs> See, I can't even do Yoda, so it's, it's hard to have you do, you know. Uh, you know what I'm saying. I do know what you're saying, and uh, I will continue to know what you're saying uh, as long as we choose to do this show, um, which is for a lifetime, I hope. I hope that we do this until uh, we're old men um, and yeah. that we just continue to bro out about records that were put out in the 80s and 70s. <laughs> That's <laughs> <For> right. Forever. <laughs> it's important that we keep doing this. Well, look, um, we have a big show and a lot to talk about with our guest, Ezra from Vampire Weekend. So uh, I want to take a break a little bit early and then uh, and okay. then bring him on. Is that okay? So, uh, yeah, because we, we have a lot to talk about with him. So we're going to go to a break. When we come back, we will have Ezra Koenig from Vampire Weekend talking about the 1986 record True Stories. We will be right back with you talking, talking heads to my talking head in just a moment. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You talking talking heads to my talking head. And very exciting episode today. As mentioned, it would be weird if I mentioned it and then it didn't actually happen. But uh, Or if you it. hadn't mentioned it and this is the first time anyone's hearing of it, that would be that would be amazing. Way cooler. I should go back I guess uh, I don't mean go back into the episode and re-record it, but go back in time. Gotta get tell, back in time. Warn myself not to mention who our guest is. Um, that's a good use of time travel, right? Yeah. You know, maybe uh, check Great out Scott. Uh, Baby Hitler while I'm at Don't it. Don't you do the Christopher, uh, what's his name? Don't you do the Doc Brown uh, impression? Haven't you done that before? I Yes, I have done the Doc Brown impression a few times, yes. Is that part of your act? Uh, when you say my act, what exactly do you mean? I don't know that I have an act. No, your stand-up set you do with, it's all impressions. (laughs) Yes, of course. I will tell you one time I went to Universal, uh, studios and took the tour with Doug Benson and he had been a tour guide there for many years. And so he knew everything that was going to happen. So when we went into the, uh, back to the future special effects room, um, the tour guide said, okay, we'll need a Volun. And he immediately said, right here, <laughs> and raised his hand. And they said, oh, okay, yeah, sure, you. And he went back, and we were all wondering what was happening. 
And he came back out dressed as Doc Brown. <laughs> they dressed the volunteer up Doug like Doc did. Brown. And then Doug Benson just did a Doc Brown impression the entire time, going, oh, okie doke, and all sorts of stuff. It was very, oh, very funny. God. And they were, usually the, the tour guides are used to, you know, people who are shy and they get yeah. to like, and he was just like ruining it for everybody. But um, speaking of ruining it for everybody, here's a guy who is not going to do that um, on this episode. He uh, was on our uh, sister show, uh, the, uh, wh- which one was he on? Oh, the REM one, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. Uh, and now he is on this new podcast, brand new podcast, totally unrelated to that REM show. Uh, he is a big Talking Heads fan from what I've been led to believe. Uh, and you know him as the lead singer. Uh, do you consider yourself to be the lead guitarist? That's a, that's an interesting question. Is it? Um, yeah. <laughs> I, but uh, is it? <laughs> but is it though? The minute I said it, I was like, "This is not interesting." Well, maybe. Yeah, as, <laughs> it's hard to say. I think I am the lead guitarist on the records generally, not so much live. Okay, especially especially lately. Interesting. By the way, uh, uh, and we'll talk about this, but I, uh, uh, Adam and I saw you live in between your appearance on our sister REM show and this podcast. Oh, right. And your guitarist looks like my old friend Reggie Watts. In any case, we'll get to that mm-hmm. <laughs> after I introduce you. He is the lead guitarist on albums, but not live. Uh, with Definitely a, not live. <laughs> with a band called Vampire Weekend. Please welcome back to the show, or welcome for the first time to this show, and welcome back to doing a show with us, Ezra Koenig. Hello. Hey, what's up, guys? Hey, man. Hey, Thank what's you up? for doing this. Thanks for having me. Uh, you are a musician, Ezra. You are an accomplished musician. You have put out uh, some of the best albums of the 2000s uh you are uh, a lot of your work incorporates world rhythms much like talking heads has and all of this you know you're you're a guy with experience you know what it takes to create an album to go and tour an album to take pictures for the album to work on artwork for the covers and essentially what adam and i were wondering for the first question is when did you first hear of talking heads um, I kind of always knew Talking Heads because my dad was a fan. Um, so my, my dad had the first four records. So I kind of remember, um, you know, what age would that have been? Like nine or 10 or 11 hearing, um, like Psycho Killer. That was definitely the first song that I was into and Spooky. being like, whoa, this, yeah, this song's fun and weird and, um, and then as I got older, I like dug deeper into the into the other records. But like, yeah, I can vividly remember looking at the first four records and obviously they all have like really striking covers. So, yeah, they were always in the house. They were in the house. And what what does your father do? I, I don't recall if we talked about that the last time you were on the show. I can't, I can't remember if we did. His, his main job, he's retired now, but his main job was working as a, a set dresser on TV and movies in New York. Now, so, a lot of people uh, who don't know what that means, he didn't. Uh, dress up like a dresser and then you know in a bedroom and then just sit there on the set he actually what would he do well he would help help construct the sets to to some degree keep them tidy uh deal with continuity um he's always taking polaroids and then later you know ipad pictures uh so making sure that everything 
yeah, on and I guess he also was a, a prop man at some point. I think those there's uh, interaction between those departments. But yeah, dealing with props and how the set looks and and how everything is placed. And did you get to go visit sets and stuff when you were a kid? Yeah, a few times. I, I've uh, he worked on um, a bunch of Spike Lee movies in the '90s, including Malcolm X. Whoa. And I have a mem- I have a memory of going with my family to. Uh, 125th Street in Harlem when they were shooting Malcolm X and being, you know, just being really struck by all the old cars and and everything they had there. And uh, and then, yeah, and I have one other memory of him shooting in, in Jersey, close to where we lived. He worked on this uh, Todd Solondz movie called Storytelling. Ah, yes. Oh, yes. Remember that one? I yeah. do. Yeah, Sebastian soundtrack. And, um, and so there was a, uh, a scene where that Conan O'Brien was in. It's like this kind of bizarre fantasy scene and that Conan was in. And as I remember watching that and just being like, whoa, Conan. One day I'm going to play on his show. That was the dream. Yeah, <laughs> I can only imagine. Um, did, did your father hope that you would become uh, the, uh, you know, get into the family business? And, and, and uh, one other question, do, uh, being the son of a prop man, do you know what prop stands for? <laughs> what what prop stands? You mean it's, like it's short it, for oh, uh, it's for property it property right? proposition proposition oh pro- proposition prop one hundred two. Um, oh right, yeah. I um, I'd switch topics. I'm sorry. I was I'm talking about <laughs> politics now. Um. So uh. So he wow, always just ha- got really political. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I apologize to our listeners. We don't usually get this political on the show. <laughs> Um, so you you had it in the house and uh, you you got into it around ten or eleven, and uh, what what years were those? Not to I don't know whether you tell your age on the internet, but uh, oh, oh yeah, what are we it's talking? Is that the late eighties, early nineties, somewhere in there? Well, yeah, I was born in nineteen eighty four, so I would have been if I yeah I would say mid nineties. I, I was getting pretty into. Yeah, like starting out with Psycho Killer, and, and definitely by the time I was 14, 14, 15, then I was like very interested in like the history of punk and new wave. So at that point, I was like a serious Talking Heads fan. Okay, and it, at this point in your life, they are not, uh, or they are no longer an ongoing concern. They had broken up. Uh so you didn't get to really experience it as it was happening. So you have a, a unique perspective that a lot of our guests uh, don't have. Uh, Adam and I, of course, got to know them late around Stop Making Sense. Um, mm-hmm. And we weren't experiencing it uh, in the, mo- you know, the early part of the career in the moment either. Um, so you you got really into that period of music. And um, tell us about what became your favorite of all of their records. Um, at some point I remember, you, you know, now that, now that I'm older, I, I do have affection just for their whole career, but I, I, there's definitely a point where Fear of Music was my favorite. I decided that was their most interesting album. Um, uh, like it, it, it seemed like kind of a sweet spot for me, especially cause like at that time, once you got like too deep into the eighties, even though now I love it, like speaking in tongues and beyond, there was something about the production that just like, wasn't for me at that yeah. time. Was you that know, because like, like, shinier and slicker? Yeah. Was it because you were into, you were getting into the, the punk era and you liked things that were a little more challenging uh, at the time? 
Yes, I think it was easier at that age for me to understand like the the David Byrne character as like this like paranoid weirdo than the kind of like fun funky one. Yeah. Although n- now I appreciate all of it. But for in- for instance, I remember it took me a long time to get into stop making sense cuz I think I might have been at summer camp or something and and I was like, "Oh, I like Talking Heads. I'd never heard that album cuz my my parents didn't have it." And and somebody played that psycho killer that opens it, you know, the live psycho killer. And I was just so used to hearing the, like the, the, you know, the tight electric guitar in you know, 77 one that I was just like, Oh, it's so I, I couldn't wrap my head Interesting. around. That's the opposite of, that's the opposite of Adam because Adam, when we played the, uh, the original recording, he's like, oh, I like, uh, I like the stop making sense one a little better. Yeah. Cause I grew mm. up with this, with stop making sense and then dug into it when I got into my mom had, uh, my mom had an, uh, an, uh, an opinion, I guess, or a theory, uh, more of a theory, which I always thought was very interesting. She said that you like the first thing that you you hear, like the whatever you're used to, you like that. So even if it's the worst version, oh, yeah. you know, you're just so used to it that like, I, I forget why I think we were talking about the little shop of horrors soundtrack or something. And I was a big, <laughs> uh-huh. I was a big fan of the Broadway version for four years before the movie came out. And then when the movie came out, I'm like, eh, this isn't very good. She was like, yeah, you like the first thing you hear. Oh, yeah. No, I think that's totally true. You're just more comfortable with it. You could the exact same arrangement, song. Um, so uh, when when uh, we reached out to you about being on the show, though, you uh, picked this album. Of course, we're talking about True Stories, the album uh, on this episode. You, you picked this album uh, as the one that you wanted to talk about. Why exactly is that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure you guys told me there weren't that many left. Well, yeah, I think it may have been I that. Think I, I think I, th- I told Ezra, were- I think I gave him like two or three choices. <laughs> I think I think by the time uh, we reached out to you, maybe we were almost yeah, at the end of the show. I, th- I think all the Stone Cold classics were taken. Yeah. Um, but uh, I do think this is an interesting album. Like, yeah, I definitely, <laughs> I, I spent, I had to revisit it. Um, but, yeah, you know, like I think you'd you'd gone through the first four. Yeah. Um, but I yeah, I I think true stories it's I think it's an interesting one to talk about. Yeah, definitely. Well before we get to that, yeah. Uh I, I do wanna ask just about uh mainly because Mr. Burns, uh lead singer of Talking Heads, he uh he incorporates a lot of uh world music influences into his work uh in the same way that you do. Uh, is there any sort of kinship there? Was there any sort of inspiration listening to uh, some of the later Talking Heads records or his solo records? Oh, I mean, well, well definitely all of it. I think um, the, yeah, I was always a fan of him as, as a human being and I was a big fan of Talking Heads. And, you know, this uh, this might sound like a na- naive thing. I, it depends how people look at music, but it's also for me it was very interesting when i realized that talking heads were punk like you know when i was like a tween and i'm starting to get interested in music because in the mid 90s there was a punk revival and it was like pop punk or there you know or there was still like kind of gutter punk so so basically when i was a kid or when i was becoming a teenager the for me for most people around me punk either meant like Green Day and post-Green Day, or it meant kind of like people with like a, 
you know, a studded leather jacket, like a subhuman's patch on it and a mohawk, like, and, you know, I like, I'm, in- I like all that stuff, but that's such a v- hyper specific version of punk that, you know, I start like reading books or something and being like punk, you know, one of the earliest punk clubs is CBGBs. And you're like, oh, who played there? And it's like talking heads. And then you look at a picture of them and you see them all like David Byrne wearing like a button down shirt. And and it, so it would almost struck me as, as recognize I was kind of like learning that there there's this like alternate history of kind of like perhaps preppy, you know, button shirt punk that, you know, it, talking heads and then in the UK is like Elvis Costello thing, things that a lot of like the punk kids I knew weren't really interested in. So, so to realize that that was punk, that just made me think about the connections between music very differently. So talking at 77, even just to think of that music as being punk music, that was like a major perspective shift for me. And then, and then getting into like the later stuff and seeing the way that they changed, you know, it's like an amazing discography to to study because if you look at how how every record changed, it's like it's pretty amazing. It's uh, you know, even more so than the the music having an influence on you. Yeah, I, I was thinking about the fashion choices uh, because when Vampire Weekend came out, you guys were sort of uh, using a preppy aesthetic uh, or a kind of Wes Anderson kind of clothes aesthetic in a way was that uh, it felt to me like talking heads were doing that in order to not be pigeonholed in the punk scene uh, the way that, you know, people who dress like the sex pistols or the clash were, were you Mm -hmm. doing it uh, in a, in a similar way? Well, yeah, I, I found it kind of funny and I also did find the history of all those clothes to be interesting. Um, And yeah, it just kind of seemed like a, a kind of rich world to explore. But yeah, the the fact that there was this history of bands like the Talking Heads and then like, I don't know, like the Feelies and stuff, I just kind of realized like, oh, as much as in that time and indie music and stuff, I felt like nobody's wearing, <laughs> this is so like lame to say because it's so basic, but nobody was wearing like button down shirts. And then suddenly you start looking at like interesting people from music throughout history, like a David Byrne, even like a Thurston Moore. It's just like yeah. always wearing like, and you're kind of like, oh yeah, but button, like button down shirts and khakis. Yeah, you're like, there is a kind of funny, cool history of that, which struck me at the time, perhaps naively, as almost like a secret history, where I was like, oh yeah, there's a whole like button button down shirt wave. Like there's can, like, a whole at- Dan Brown kind of Da Vinci Code button down shirt. <laughs> Exactly. Thing that could that could lead you to what actual, you know, rock and roll music actually is. Yeah, and I think it's it's about Oxford Oxford button downs. I think I encapsulated <laughs> your point pretty well there. Um did you <laughs> yes, hear that absolutely. did you hear that story about why uh, uh David uh, Mr. Burns wears uh wears uh, uh long sleeve shirts? It's because uh, Lou Reed saw him on stage wearing a short sleeve shirt and he's got really dark hair on his forearms. And Lou, Lou Reed was like, hey, man, you got to start wearing long sleeve shirts. That's pretty gross. <laughs> oh, God. I never heard of that before. <laughs> um, well, uh, uh, it's it's uh, I- I'm actually glad we're talking to you about this record because I think something about it definitely reminds me of of your work in a way. Um, and so I- I'm glad we're, we're here to talk to you about it. Let's go through a little bit of uh, the stats behind the record. All right. Uh, let's see. Comes out on September 15, 1986. Ezra is two years old at that point or that's yeah. Two, two. When's your birthday? 
Uh, April 8th. April 8th. So yeah, you're like two, two, two and, and a half. half. Nice. So you have uh, uh, no memory of buying this record in the stores when it came out. Oh, definitely not. <laughs> How about you, Adam? Were you uh, in the stores when this came out? I remember my brother was like into the Talking Heads or into Talking Heads. And I remember Little Creatures was a big deal. And this day of release... He had he went and got the vinyl because that's how we bought everything, how he bought everything. And I just I remember this artwork in a huge huge vinyl form was really striking. Yeah, the artwork. Take a look at the album cover uh, while you're listening to this podcast and really, really stare at it. Yeah. um, For a long time. Pause the podcast and go find the vinyl. Yeah. Go out to uh, some sort of vinyl shop. Maybe go on record store day. So pause this show right now. Wait until the next record store day comes around. Buy this on vinyl. They should download it, though, just in case there's a power outage or something or they're in a bad area uh, coverage-wise and they can listen to it. They can unpause oh, download, it download this time. this podcast? Yeah. Download the po- the rest of the podcast. Yeah, definitely download it to, to save for later. Um, it's, uh, it is very striking, uh, has been copied a few times, I believe by other bands. Uh, but, uh, half, well, wa- this font really came back like in the mid early-ish mid nineties, like yeah. natural born killers and even monster kind of took this, this font a little 10 bit. episodes in, we're talking about fonts now. Jesus fucking yeah. Christ. <laughs> um, so you, uh, uh, he went, uh, your brother went out and bought it. Yeah, and I remember listen, "Love for Sale." Just that, that the way it starts. Just, just dr- the whole album just starts with, with the drums, and it's, uh, it's really, uh, like this is a kind of a. It's sort of taking that little creatures Americana thing and and pushing it uh, a little further, don't you think? Speaking of drums, uh, Chris Farts in his book he talks about how uh, the one uh, compliment Mr. Burns ever gave him. Was on those on uh, I believe it was Love for Sale. He listened. Oh, really? He listened to the track back and he went, "Huh, nice drums." <laughs> and that's the one compliment, the one suppo- compliment supposedly he ever love. gave Chris Farts. Um, and then Chris Farts has to say, "Well, they were more than nice, but uh, it was nice to hear that he liked them." <laughs> um, have you read uh, uh, Chris Farts's book, Ezra? No. Now, well, now that you mention it, I, that came out recently, right? Yeah, it came out a few months back. Yeah. You know, I I read that he had a book out, and I was like, I bet I would enjoy that. But so this is a good reminder. Isn't that interesting that we read about books? Like, instead of just reading the book, we should just read the book. Why do we have to read about a book? Like, let's eliminate the middleman here. It's a really, it, really good, important thought. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I you feel you. It. So glad someone said it. Um, well, no, I feel you. You got to read the book, Adam. You were you were saying that uh, it kind of takes what they were doing on Little Creatures. So so let's talk about the background a little bit. So, um, Mr. Burns uh, had moved to Los Angeles, California, uh, because he wanted to make a movie, and uh, he got a house up in the the uh, Hollywood Hills, and so uh, the band they. Uh, recorded this and Little Creatures back-to-back. So basically, they recorded Little Creatures, which we covered on uh, one of our last episodes, um, and they mixed it in New York. And then they, as soon as the mixing was done, like, I I guess, like, within five minutes after the mixing was done, they went into the studio and started recording this. 
And um, so they're they're kind of interesting companion pieces in a way because they made them uh, sort of like the Lord of the Rings movies. Uh, they made them simultaneously or like Back to the Future 2 and 3, speaking of Doc Brown. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's a cool tie in there. Um, they they did the basic tracks in New York and then came out to uh, Toluca Lake to record which is weird i wonder where that studio i looked is. it up you know where that i looked is? it up okay so it's it, it's the old O'Henry sound studio which is no longer there i think and chris farts in his book is talking about like um how someone told him that bob hope lived next door and that is in first of all i used to live in toluca lake i used to live on bob it's hope street bob hope bob hope studios is what he's thinking of by the way bob hope <laughs> used to go into the Bob's big boy there in Toluca Lake. Every single night, uh, my friend told me from like 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. when he was 94, 95 or something like that. And he used to just chill. And people would know that. They would go like, oh, yeah, if you want to go meet Bob Hope, just go to the the Bob's big boy. I never did it. Whoa. You a big Bob Hope fan, Ezra? You know, I'm really not very familiar with this word. I can like picture him like swinging a a golf club. Watch (laughs) the uh, watch Road to Utopia. That's uh, the best road movie and the most uh, meta one. It's it's really really funny. Because he made who was like the the sidekick in those Bing Crosby. Well, they were. I mean, you know, not not necessarily a sidekick. I mean, that's like. You know, I, I, it's interesting. That's how you view anyone else who shares the spotlight with you as a sidekick. No, that's just how I view Bing Crosby. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> understandable. So he's not like the short round to... Uh, <laughs> short round holds up, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. You watch those indie it. movies? <laughs> nothing, there's nothing offensive about that. I still think that in the next Indiana Jones movie... Um, they should have short round all grown up and he's like Jet Li or someone and he just kicks I fucking heard, ass. <laughs> I heard that's what they're doing. Really? Yeah. Okay. He Hugh Kwan is is a, really? That's what I heard. This is just oh, recently. I am I don't into know if it. that's real. I am fucking into it. Me too. Um okay, so they they went out to Toluca Lake to uh to to mix it and do overdubs, I guess, and then uh there's a story in Chris Fartz's book where uh, Mr. Burns flew them flew them out and put them up in like the shittiest <laughs> motel. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I've read a little bit that things the last few years of of the Talking Heads career were were very tense and they weren't really like talking <laughs> they weren't talking to each other. <laughs> but I guess I guess that's what he's he's talking about. Everything is, is seems like, kind of like fine at this point. In none of the books I've read say there were any like open hostility like there was in some of the records they made but it just seems like mr burns was keeping them at arm's length because chris farts talks about like well he never invited us to his home for even not even for a drink um we invited him to eat sushi several times and he said he was too busy so it just seems like mr burns is like keeping them at arm's length and and it's it's become more of a business at this point and he has like cool hollywood friends or it seemed like there was like a a bit of uh, just hurt feelings. You know? Yeah. Well, also every everything they say in the press about him is so mean <laughs> that like if it were me, right. I'd, be, I'd be like, oh god, fuck these guys. But I don't know. I I haven't spent any significant time with David Byrne, but obviously, um, obviously, I'm a huge fan. But I when I picture something like that, I could imagine. I could equally imagine. Them inviting him out and him being like, "Oh no, I'm busy," and he's like going to yeah, who hang out with whatever like big 
movie stars there were at that time. But I could equally imagine him going, oh, I'm busy. And just Sylvester like Sylvester Stallone. And stare at the wall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he could either be ditching them for Sylvester hey. Stallone or, or hey, ditch them to go, to go just like sit, sit at his house. Take and just photos like think. of a spatula. <laughs> yeah, like he's he's an idiosyncratic guy, so I'm sure. Yeah, some percentage of the the issues they had with each other weren't just like pure like headbutting. It might have just been like a uh, a weird. tone thing. Well, it's kind of yeah. the same issues I have with Adam. I've invited him over to this place <laughs> several times. He's never taken me up on it. Um, he moved to New York to get away from me. <laughs> and there you but go. Obviously, See, it's not working. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see what else happened. Oh yeah, one uh, interesting thing of note, according to Chris Fartz's book, is that uh, someone uh, dropped by the studio while they were recording it. It was the six million dollar man himself, aka the Fall Guy, Lee Majors. I don't remember shit from this book. Lee Majors came to the studio. Lee Majors recording this. Dropped by, said he was a big fan, and and they were like, "Cool, Lee Majors." Yeah. <laughs> Um, one other interesting thing is that the, uh, O. Henry sound where they were doing all the overdubs there in Toluca Lake, the person who owned that sold his house to a major singing star of the current era. Can you guess who it is? His Toluca Lake Wait, compound. Who sold, who sold it? The person who uh, ran the studio, uh, that they, they were in, in Toluca he Lake. He sold his house to somebody who, who's a major star now. now. Yeah. Uh. Any any other hints other than I will give you one other hint. Her sister's name is wouldn't want to be ya. Oh, see ya. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Why is it her sister? <laughs> They're twins. <laughs> see, okay. See ya and wouldn't want to be. This is see ya and wouldn't want to be ya. <laughs> Uh, so I, I thought that was an interesting. Uh, when I was looking up where O Henry Sound was. Uh, those were like the but first I'm not clear four. Who it was that sold the house? The dude who the dude who ran this studio that they the dude who ran the studio who that, owned that the they studio recorded this in that is no longer there. He's no longer that with us. Guy. Okay, uh, so he dead. must have been. You went deep. Well, I mean, I looked at this is uh, this is as deep as I went. I said. Siri, look up O. Henry Sound, Toluca Lake. And then the first four articles were about Sia buying this guy's house. Okay. So he must have been, that must have been a very successful studio, you know? Yeah. I, I imagine Sia would have like a baller pad in Toluca Lake. Well, I, I think right. it, it may have been her second house or something, but it was like a $5 million house at the time. And this was like seven years or so ago. So yeah, I mean, do studio owner, I mean, you know this better than anyone, Ezra. Do studio owners usually have that kind of capital? Definitely not these days. <laughs> not anymore. I, I guess. Yeah. I guess back then, yeah. If, I don't know. Maybe you made some wise investments. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if wouldn't want to be ever comes by. I mean, five million dollars. <laughs> that's like fifty thousand bozos, Adam. Oh, listen. I, I I don't know if we can even count the bozos. <laughs> I think I'm doing the math right. Um. So they. Uh, then they uh let's see they also they mixed it somewhere else i don't know we're getting into the weeds about all the mixing of it but apparently uh, according to them well, let's talk about more about the the real estate ventures yes. of the guy that used to own the studio <laughs> I well, yeah, was I, was, an interesting I got a fact. question did david Byrne buy a house in the hollywood hills or did you say he was he, renting he i believe he bought although uh i'm gonna have to go back uh and, and do some research on that but i believe he bought uh, a house up in the hills and by all accounts, he really liked moving to California. Interesting. 
Do you, you're you're an East Coast guy and you live in California, do you not? Yes. Do you like do you like to tell people your address or could you do that on the show <laughs> for us or No, I try to keep that quiet. Oh, okay. No problem. Um uh so you have a lot in common with Mr. Burns there. Um this uh this came out and uh was uh the the song Wild Wild Life was the first single and was a big big hit. Yeah, that's the thing is is for like a lesser what's thought of as like a lesser or that's how I was thinking of it having not revisited it in a while and there's so many really like great songs on this. Yeah, it it Wild Wild Life was a big hit, but the album sort of flopped. It only it w- did. Yeah, it only went gold. It only uh sold 500,000 copies. At this point, whereas the Which at the time was not, but the previous was double good. platinum. The previous sold two million. Yeah. So, and Chris Farts even talks about how uh, he thought Mr. Burns was overexposed. Um, there was a lot. I guess Mr. Burns got his own press agent and right. separate from the band, and and started doing a ton of press. Little moves like that can mm, bad sign. Yeah. yeah. And then he was on the cover of Time as Rock's Renaissance Man. Uh, and uh, they it, it took 1,500 words in the article before Talking Heads was even mentioned, I guess. And that, that kind of soured uh, the, the group against him even further. Um, but And then Chris Fartz talks about how he just thought that, like, once you're that overexposed and once you're doing that much press, there's no mystery anymore. And uh, people get less interested rather than more interested. But Mr. Burns was like, thought it would be good for the band, thought it would be good for the movie. And so he did like a ton of press. He, he didn't refuse any press. Yeah. Okay. So it, it came out, the band was in, um, the band was in the videos. Oh yeah. The one thing that uh, is interesting when they were making the videos, I think it was the same crew as the movie, True Stories. And Talking Heads guys came and did the Wild Wild Life video, and the crew came up to Chris Farts and Tina Verymouth and said, "Like, wow, you guys were awesome, and we heard you were gonna you were huge divas and were gonna be a problem." And oh, no. <laughs> they said, "Well, who told you that?" And they n- n- like gestured over to Mr. Burns, <laughs> and um, and the same thing happened on the next uh, video, which was for maybe it was for Love for Sale. I can't remember, but the exact same thing happened where, in the middle of the uh, this is all according to Chris Farts, in the middle of shooting, Mr. Burns shouted "cut" in the middle of a take, which incensed the director, and the director was like, "Only I say cut" in the middle of takes. And then after the the shoot, the the uh, crew came up to Chris Farts and Tina Verymouth and, and George Harrison and said, uh, hey, you guys were so good and we heard you were huge divas and we're going to be like s- <laughs> such assholes to us. It's so weird. And, and they said, who, weird... who told you that? And then they go, the guy who yelled cut in the middle of the take. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. What a weird thing. Like, even if you're not totally getting along and there's tension in your band, to just be like to poison the crew. These is... people are gonna be total nightmares. Like because there's like a seventy percent chance they're they're not, and you're just gonna look like like what a weird gamble. <laughs> That's what to happened. Take. It's a weird. That, that undermines my theory that that Burn was just kind of like in his own weird world. 
maybe. Although this is all according to Chris Farts, so we don't know. The these are these are these are just yeah. These are just one side of the story. Yeah. When, when's that burn book dropping? Well, I that I would oh, yeah. I would love to hear his version of it. He, by the way, I I, I read <laughs> he just goes in. <laughs> <laughs> I read an interview with him recently where they asked him about Chris Farts's book, and he he just he had the perfect answer with it, where he just said, "No, I haven't read it," mainly because. In doing press for American Utopia, I know that's all anyone would ever ask me about, so I didn't want to have any opinion on it, which I think is, like, perfect, you know? Mm. Did you see American Utopia, by the way, Ezra? No, I didn't. I missed it, and I I haven't watched it on... I haven't streamed it yet, either. I I I should have before... Before I don't mean to program. Yeah, I don't mean to give, you know put a lot of guilt uh, on you. You, you. you can pause this recording yeah. and go watch it. And Just pause it. Back. All right, you guys, <laughs> sit tight. Okay, <laughs> and we're back. Hey, so what'd you think? Incredible redefines <laughs> the uh, the the filmed concert experience. I I would say ten to twenty times better than Stop Making Sense. Wow, um, Mr. Burns is is a is an absolute treasure. Um, <laughs> And uh, he just seems like a good guy. Now, I've seen clips of it, and, and everybody's told me. I know some people who worked on it, like some, uh, I think uh, our, our, our lighting dude also worked on it. He's, he's works on oh, a lot cool. of Oh, cool. Well, it's also Spike Lee, so maybe you know some of the prop people. Oh, yeah. Damn. If Maybe if my dad hadn't retired, he could have gotten a gig. <laughs> <laughs> if, I think a lot of retired people think that. If only I hadn't retired, I could have still kept working. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I didn't know if when I retired, I wouldn't be working anymore. Um, <laughs> no, but it's cool. And and the people and a bunch of people sent me a still image from American Utopia because there's a dude in the audience wearing a Vampire Weekend shirt. So I just want to oh. say, sir, you stole the show. Shout out to the guy in the Vampire Weekend shirt. Well, instead That's of just cool. looking at one still, you should look at uh, approximately 24 of them per second um, <laughs> for about uh, two hours and watch the entire thing. Hey, Ezra, what other Spike Lee movies did your dad work on? Uh, he did. Uh, he also worked on Crooklyn, oh, um, yeah. which I remember seeing as a kid. Um, and he worked on uh, 25th Hour. I love that one. I love um, that one. I love Crooklyn, too. Yeah, Crooklyn was super cool. I remember seeing that when it came out. Um, were there others? Definitely those. But, yeah, it made a big impact on me because being part of that world, we got a... Uh, we were on the mailing list, or our, our household was, so we received um, uh, uh, Kwanzaa cards from 40 Acres and a Mule Productions. Oh, awesome. So I'd wow. like see that, you know, and and also the crew gear was all insane. Yeah. He, my dad had this uh, a leather Malcolm X world tour jacket Whoa. that was like unbelievable. And um, there was like a cool, I think it was like a Nike sweatshirt from Crooklyn. So I, basically what I'm saying, these artifacts like loomed large, you know, yeah, as a kid, yeah, you yeah, see yeah. stuff in your I'm house. I'm sure you would like, like stare at that stuff and be like, whoa, that's so cool. Yeah. Amazing. I remember 40 Acres and a Mule had a shop on Melrose back in like 92. Oh, in used, LA? They had an yeah, LA store? Yeah, in LA. They whoa. had a store and I used to go there all the time because I was so into Spike Lee and I would go, but I couldn't afford anything. Like everything was super expensive like hats and sweatshirts and stuff. God, I hadn't thought about that in so long, but they had an actual store here. And I knew they they have they had maybe still have the one in Fort Greene in Brooklyn. Oh, they do. Was like oh, they cool. had the big big flag. Um yeah, when you really think about it, that stuff was the idea of like having this like permanent merchandising arm for like Yeah. 
for for like kind of grown up movies. What now yeah. you get all this cool stuff like you know online ceramics making a twenty four. Why stuff, doesn't Christopher but, Nolan you know. come out with a store? You know, Just drop a store with like moody. They could sell uh, Batman costumes and interstellar spacesuits. Quarters <laughs> that you spin around, or no? What was it? It wasn't a quarter. It was like a jack. Yeah, no, the totem that you would. Yeah, that you could spin around to see if yeah, you're like dreaming. a spinning top, like a spinning jack. That would be so. And then every fun. single oh, yeah. person, every single person that buys a totem from the Christopher Nolan store realizes that they're in a dream and and they're not actually living their life. Whoa, that would be so trippy, man. That would be that would be a huge trip. <laughs> Um, all right, we need to take a break. When we come back, we're going to uh, go through all the songs on the record and listen to them, and we'll talk about our impressions of them. That's uh, That sounds pretty fun, doesn't it, guys? I mean, what do you think? Oh, yeah. Okay, so we're going to be back. We will be right back with more You Talking Talking Heads to My Talking Head after this. Welcome back, you talking, talking heads and my talking head. We're here with Ezra Koenig of Vampire Weekend. Before we get into this record, true stories, I got to ask, new Vampire Weekend music, when's it coming? We're working on a record now, maybe the only only bright side of of the... uh, does COVID it pandemic does, 2019 does, does it give you does it give you more time to work on a record or is it harder because you can't necessarily get together uh as much or I think we actually have a head start because we uh, we were very sad to see all the the touring this year vanish because we we had a lot of shows we were looking forward to but I find it very hard to think about new music when we're touring so I, I think it allowed us to have a head start and then also yeah we've got to kind of like a, a de- decently dialed in scenario. We can even like jam together sometimes and in a way we sit, uh, sit in different rooms and kind of use headphones and go take a break, sit outside. So, you know, it's, it's decent. And, uh, cool. is, is there any, uh, adjustments to the sound of the record? Have you gone down any new avenues that you're looking at or, or will it be sort of similar to the last one? Do you think at this point? Oh, well, yeah. Always going down new avenues. Mm. I can't, Still in the embryonic stage, so I can't discuss too much, but that was something I, again, very few bright spots to, you know, the pandemic, but the the first few months, like many people, filled with anxiety and stuff, but I did find that just being at home for a few months had was a lot of time to think in a way that I probably couldn't have done if we were on tour. You know, when you're on tour, you're playing all the old music and you're excited and stuff. It's good to sometimes... Not not get any external stimulation. Just think what yeah. comes next. That's great. Um, so yeah, a I lot mean of, it's it's almost like you're in. you're back into the same mind state as when you first started doing music. In a way, like you have nothing else to think about. You know, like I can only imagine being in Vampire Weekend is a a little bit of a treadmill where you're like planning the next thing a lot. You know, and at this point there is no next thing, so it's just like in terms of t- touring and and photo shoots and and videos and all that kind of stuff at this point it's like all you can concentrate on is is songs totally I, and and i think if we'd been on tour 
even on and off this year, I'd probably just now, I'd probably be getting home exhausted and starting to like get back into thinking about this stuff. Cause yeah, a whole album with all the touring that suddenly just years go by and then, yeah. So uh, luckily we're, we, we, we have the ability to, to get cracking. At this rate, if you guys, if we're not back to, to normal again for another year or so, your next tour could be touring, continuing your father of the bride tour, but also adding another uh, record to the tour. Conceivably, maybe. Yeah, that's kind. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what I hope. I mean, luckily we got to hit most big cities around yeah. the world, but some of the we were really looking forward to like playing some some like slightly smaller places, like the you know Missoula, Montana's in Burlington, Vermont. So it's like I, I the one bright side is to say like, well, we'll still get to those places, but yeah, we'll have even more music. So, well, uh, Adam and I want to sing on the on the new record. Is that something? Uh, you you're interested in? Oh yeah, sure. I can get you get you guys Great. on some background vocals. Yeah, that's what wow. we want. Um, and that's non-negotiable. <laughs> Happy to seal that up. Yeah, yeah. that's happening. <laughs> that's definitely happening. Um, we did see you uh, at the Hollywood Bowl show that you did, and I think we've talked about it on this show. But it was it was such a great uh, show, and oh, man, uh, so good. And oh, thanks for coming. Yeah, it was it was incredible. And thank you for extending the invitation to us. So we had. Uh, Wonderful. See, I look when I think we got a hold of you pretty last minute to ask if we could come to the show. So I was expecting our seats to be, you know, like pretty far off. They were in the box next to your wife, <laughs> and it was like, oh, they, yeah, it was very oh, super. Nice. We were next to Heim and your wife, and I was kind of like, wow, okay, well, it was so okay. fun. Um, it was no, so I'm good. Sure, I'm sure I said, I'm sure I said, you do right by these men. <laughs> you give them. <laughs> you were a, a tear was coming down your face as you said that, <laughs> and they said, they said, how important are these guys to you? And I said. Somewhere in between my wife and Heim, if I had to rank, rank <laughs> On a them. level of between Heim <laughs> and my felt. wife. And that was great. <laughs> uh, it was great. And my wife uh, loved it. She She's uh, always, she's kind of more of a casual music fan, uh, mm. you know, and she came out of it a true believer and was like, oh, my God. Oh, these, that's awesome. These guys are incredible. Uh, just a wonderful show. It was such a nice night. It was just like a vibey, yeah. it wasn't hot. Were you guys having fun just there? I've, I've talked to other friends of mine who have played there and they kind of were like, eh, Hollywood Bowl sounds bad or, or whatever. And they've, they've, it, I've never talked to anyone who's really enjoyed it, but were you having a good night there? Well, because this was our third time playing there. So I think I spread out over a decade, but I, and now About I, every three point three three years exactly yeah, and so so being back there, it's our third time there. At this point, I know LA much better than I did when we first played there in two thousand ten, and I've seen a million shows there, so I I felt like I knew what to expect. So I love the Hollywood Bowl. I think it's an incredibly unique venue, and the thing that I think a lot of people have a hard time with there is that by having those boxes up front. Um, which is an amazing way to watch a show. But by having those boxes, it's it's kind of like pre-COVID social distancing. It's kind right. of what a lot of concerts are, look like now. But when you have those boxes, 
you uh the you don't have that density up front right that yeah. you have at another show there's not like you know the hardcore fans riding the rail kind of vibe so i think that can be disorienting the first couple of times but this time i went and i said you know what? i've sat in these boxes before and i've probably seen been a little laid back but i kind of understood the layout better so there's a couple of times during the show that i would say like how's everybody in the back doing and you hear this distant roar yeah as yeah. if there's like a concert going on like on the other side of the the hill <laughs> Yeah. And so, you know, I just, I, I think I could take everything a little more in stride then and realize, you know, at the Hollywood Bowl, like you can't, the, the energy is not going to hit you the same way, but like, don't, don't get it twisted. It's like people, people are having a good time. It's so fun when you're in those boxes and you're like drinking wine and you're ordering food and there it's, it's such a pleasant experience, but yeah, for the performer, the energy must be different, but it's, it, I, I almost enjoy watching a band more there although i guess we're not giving it back to you guys as much as as we could have no yeah but i but yeah now i understand how how pleasant it can be also i be- was i was booing the entire time and i was doing my thumbs down <laughs> i don't know whether you caught that but yeah i didn't i didn't appreciate that but, <laughs> um but it is crazy the hollywood bowl is eighteen thousand people yeah that's roughly the same actually that's more people than you would get at a standard arena show yeah because you most t- the times you know they cut off the, the back so like at state at staples center yeah for instance they cut off a third of the crowd or whatever so that because it's not in the round. Exactly. Like like if Fish played at, at the Staples Center, they'd probably do some cool 360 thing. But the average show at Staples Center is definitely less people than the Hollywood Bowl. So you have to imagine all those people being just kind of shot up in, in, you know, up and up and up the way the Hollywood Bowl goes. But, you know, that's the price you pay for being like in the middle of a big city under the the sky. It's it's. Amazing. It was a beautiful night. Was it in? It, I feel like it was in October or something, but it, it just felt... I think it was. It was like so it, the weather was amazing. Cool, there was but not freezing. There were so many great people there. I mentioned Chaim, your wife. <laughs> also, Ezra, that yeah. that version of of Sunflower you guys do, what what it has a different name in concert or the fans have kind of given it a new name, is that right? Oh yeah. Do- that's a, that's some good research. I we well we call it Stoneflower. Stoneflower, that's right. I think and and over, I hope, you know, our plan was always to develop many versions of it. But yeah, the, the it's such a short song. We knew we had to do something different live. Yeah. So I remember we were, we would jam on it in the rehearsal. And we, you know, we do kind of more of like a, a light kind of Grateful Dead version. And then at some point, somebody suggested, what if we did kind of like a stoner metal version? And we go into like, basically like a full Black Sabbath vibe. Yeah. And so we always called it Stoneflower. Any Man. any plans to release that? Uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Publicly, professionally, uh, officially? Yes, we're definitely been talking about doing re- releasing more live stuff. There's a uh, we played it on Austin City Limits that show, so there was like a probably a video floating around. Um, yeah, I'm sure in the future that we'll be putting up many versions of it. Very nice. Well, enough about Vampire Weekend uh, uh, until, of course, Adam and I do a show just based on your output. Uh, Would that be flattering to you? Do you think the talking heads should be flattered by this show that we're doing or should they be mad? (laughs) No. Well, (laughs) I will say George Harrison was on the show uh, uh, just a few episodes back. So, I mean, this dude's like a legend. He's in the Beatles. He's in Talking Heads. He's in the Modern Lovers and then Traveling Wilburys. And, and, he, and, and he produced the live, live, of course, yeah. And as, 
did he do Candlebox? No, he didn't do Candlebox. He did Violent Femmes. Like, he has such an amazing career, and he he was on this show, and he seemed very flattered by it. Oh, totally. He seemed very flattered by it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I think I think they should be. And I also think that, I, I mean, I'm sure you guys have talked about this, but I do, I, yes, I, I would be honored if, if one day, maybe in 10 to 15 years, you make it to the Vampire Weekend catalog. That could be a good trade-off for having you guys sing on the record. Okay, you yeah, just, we promise. Just give me a, a promise. <laughs> That's set okay. in stone at this point. 10 to 15 years, sure, we can handle that. Because all, all, all those bands are different, but it is... Yeah, I think you guys so far the you've picked bands who have a not just like some cool music, but who have like a worthy career to yeah. talk about. I think it's I think it's high praise. Well, you you guys need to put out more records, is what I have to say. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, a lot a lot of these bands more. that we've covered were on the one album a year cycle early in their career, and uh, you know, I'd like to see Vampire Weekend get into that cycle. Well, what Talking Heads? How many studio albums total? Is it so eight? not that many? What is total? It like? They did five, six, seven, eight. They did eight, but they were it's a lot. They were doing one a year for their first uh, for a while. So seventy-seven, they did one. Seventy-eight, seventy-nine, eighty, and then they took a couple years off, put out their live record, and then eighty-three, they did Speaking in Tongues. Uh, and then late 83 or 84, they did Stop Making Sense. And then 85, Little Creatures. 86, True Stories. I mean, they were really on the grind of like... It's really prolific. And Chris Farts talks about how he was always the one to say like to everybody, hey guys, you know, we got to put out our record this year. Uh, and that was just kind of accepted. That's what bands did. And so he was always the one to rally the troops and get everyone into the studio. It's I can't even fathom how, how people used to do that. But I think we could get to eight and within the next decade. Yeah, no one really does that anymore. No one is on that cycle. Well, that's anymore, wait, but... eight within the next decade. That's uh, one every two and a half years or so. That would be amazing. Okay, well, yeah, don't yeah. I'm going <laughs> to hold you to that. But, We're no, singing think, on your record. You're putting out eight record. Oh, look, I got to say, the people who have come on this show and promised us things, good old Mike Miller, Mike Myers, he said he was coming out with a solo album. Where is it? Mike you know knows. what I mean? Yeah, no. He said he would have a solo album by the end of last year. By right? the end of last year, uh, I think it's with Total that uh, with that COVID vaccine that uh, they promised <laughs> us. Sheesh. Um, all right. Well, let's let's uh, uh, return to true stories and uh, let's go through through some of the music. One thing I, I wanted to mention: um, this is the ostensibly the soundtrack to the movie True Stories. And originally, Mr. Burns wanted to put out a true soundtrack where it was the actors in the film uh, singing the songs. And somehow he was convinced that would not be popular, which I kind of agree, and was convinced that it should be talking heads doing their versions of the songs from the film. And that would be a more commercial enterprise um, which, uh, I think, I mean, I, I think I agree that people were more excited by a, a new Talking Heads record than, than, uh, a bunch of actors, than John Goodman singing. Is that, w would you have bought that record, Adam, if it had, uh, come out? The actor version? Yeah. Instead of this probably version? Probably not. Yeah, probably not. So I think it was a good, a good, uh. Uh, idea, although Mr. Burns, apparently after they put it out, um, it wasn't the hit that he was looking for, kind of said that, uh, kind of implied that the band talked him into it and he, he, it, it ended up being a bad idea, but uh, I don't know. 
let's hear uh, some of the songs. This is how it starts. This is Love for Sale, and uh, this is that nice drum song that we were talking about. Here we go. This is Love for Sale. Uh, this is traditionally where we say what we think about the song. And Ezra, as you are our guest, I'm giving you the high compliment to offer your opinion first. Oh, thank you. Um, well, it's I, I th- to be honest, I expected a little more than just a cursory thank you. I expected a little more <laughs> gratitude. So if you can I amp am- it up a little bit on a scale from Heim to your wife, I expected more <laughs> towards your wife. <laughs> I'm, I'm honored to be able to kick off my constructive criticism. <laughs> oh, constructive criticism. No, I like this. True stories. No, I mean, I think it's not my favorite song on, on the record, but I, I think when I, was thinking, when I was getting ready and listening to this again, I, I think it's interesting. Like, on the one hand, I do think there's a bit of like a horseshoe thing happening in Talking Heads' career where the if you look past the 80s production... There's like a songwriting vibe here that's kind of going back to like the first two albums. It's got like a, yeah. a 77 vibe. You could totally picture like a version of this on on the first record. The they they had they had uh, stopped by uh, for these two records, Little Creatures and True Stories. <clears throat> they had stopped their process of uh, finding grooves. Uh, first, and then Mr. Burns writing lyrics afterwards, and they'd gone back mm. to Mr. Burns write, t- totally doing songwriting before they went into the studio. Okay, so yeah, maybe that's part of it. I think it's also like at this point, I, I like the simplicity of of this record, and and I can see why it might have been. Well, obviously, it has to do with the movie, but I see why the like the the kind of weird. American tone of the movie and of the songs probably was appealing after some like their other explorations but I, I think that my, my constructive criticism would just be that I think part of why this album is not one that you know people get into the talking heads now or like yeah. talking about too much is because just at this point in 1986 there's like a lot of music 
music had kind of caught up to the Talking Heads a little bit. So, so there's, you know, you hear this and you like hear, sounds a little bit like, like the Cars or even like a touch of like, I don't know, like Dire Straits or something. It's a good song. It just, it it does. It's not like it's uniquely Talking Heads. Well, it also, it also has stuff. no no weird uh, old sourpuss Brian Eno. Uh, like sounds on it. It's just clean production. It's just like it. It sounds almost like, almost like there's no one else playing other than the four people. Which I don't know that we were expecting that after coming off of Stop Making Sense, which had this incredible you know ten piece band with backing singers and um, little creatures even, which sa- which had a lot of instrumentation and overdubs and stuff. This just sounds so sparse. Yeah, there's something like really straightforward about it where there's nothing hidden. It's just all out there for for you to hear. So there's no real like mystery to it. Yeah, which which in the case of Wild Wild Life, I think totally works. There's something about that being like a late Talking Heads hit that is kind of just like simple, but there's like enough weirdness and like in the delivery that so this, you know. That's a good song too. It's just not quite wild wildlife level. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I remember putting on this record. I bought this record at the record store that popped up across the street from my house, which was such a godsend to me at the time because otherwise I had to go to the Tower Records uh, on Beach Boulevard, um, which was about three miles away from my house. So there was a, a record store mm-hmm. popped up right across the street from my house. And I, this, I think it was open this year. And I remember buying it really excited and putting that on. And kind of going like, huh, okay, it's very thin. What, that, that that first song yeah. in particular, yeah. just kind of like it's very thin. There's nothing really. It's a good. It's a good song. I like the melody. Yeah. I like his singing on it. But there's not a lot behind it. There's not a lot going yeah. on in it. But I like it. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I think I think the production is is such a huge part of it. It's like the that that's just how a lot of music sounded at the time, right? Um, so maybe they were just getting. Like the songwriting is strong, the playing obviously those drums very strong. Just maybe they didn't have time to pu- to push the envelope with the the production as they had in the past. I, I do sometimes when I listen to this record think that it is them doing two records back to back, and this was sort of the afterthought record in a way. Mm. Was did they produce this themselves? I think so. I was just trying to look at that, and I believe they produced it themselves. You one one interesting story about. Uh, these records, Eric uh, Thorngren, who they, uh, uh, George Harrison, when he was on the show a few episodes back, he mentioned E.T., his friend E.T., and we thought that he was talking about the space alien the entire time. And we were like, this dude's fucking hallucinating. What, he thinks he's hanging out with E.T.? It was weird. Um, but uh, apparently he was talking about Eric Thorngren. Uh, I was reading Chris Fartz's book, and it's int- <laughs> how they met him is really interesting, where Chris Fartz was in, uh, in Nassau. And, uh, you know, cause he has a place there and he looked out his window and saw some guy like passed out on the grass out in front. And he's like, Hey dude, you all right? And the guy goes, Oh yeah, I've been remixing a Bob Marley song, Buffalo soldier. And I got really tired and I just passed out here. Um, they're in, and so they go, Oh, can we hear it? And so Chris Farts and Robert Palmer go to the studio and hear this, uh, remix a Buffalo soldier that he's working on. And it's incredible. And so, uh, Chris Farts is like, dude, you got to do the, uh, talking heads records. So that's, he did stop making sense. He did little creatures uh, and he did this one. 
By the way, that version of Buffalo Soldier that he was talking about yeah. was the version on Legend when I was like in junior high right. school. But the it's classic no version. longer. It's no longer on anything. You can't find it anywhere. Well, I have it really? in my collection because I don't just listen to streaming, Adam. But you you mean that like sped up like uh, poppy version of it? Yeah, I think so. I'm sure I have it somewhere. Um, okay, so let's go to this is track two. This is puzzling evidence. This feels like they're trying to rewrite uh, uh, life during wartime again. They've they've done it like three times. echoey room 80s yeah. sound where do you where do you fall on echo Ezra well like a lot of reverb it, it, it really depends it, it it's it's about the song and, and the moment sometimes I mean, it's great like on early Smith's records it's so good and then when the Smith started recording everything cleanly it was not as good in my opinion but uh, so sometimes it's great but you guys don't use a lot of it right well, I mean, we're definitely always using reverb, uh, and uh, yeah, but I mean, echo specifically here and there. I think, I think subtly. I think there is a type. Sometimes people can like hide behind it. Like if you're not confident in the vocal, for instance, you can make. It's a very easy way to make everything vibey. But I think a lot of times the best music has like a middle ground, and and I can see why this the way this song sounds like in the '80s. This this way of recording must have sounded so big so new um like yeah it's a that's big snare drum like that so like in your face but again like the it's it's just not as uniquely talking heads all right all right let's hear a little more of this song oh we're back to the instrumental part <laughs> we talked completely over the chorus <laughs> this is the uh on on the chorus we have the Burt Cross Choir singing backgrounds, which I think is a mm. kind of makes this uh, song stand out a little more than if it was just. You know, one one question I have for you guys, maybe I don't know if you know, because I was just thinking like this sounds like the exact type of song that like you know you hear the studio version you're like okay, but I bet it could really go off live, and then I was like thinking were they touring in this era like what was no see you know i was listening to this record today going man i wish i could hear a live version of this they Mm -hmm. never did another tour after stop making sense and whoa oh that was the last one and and they during the making of this record they were asked to be on live aid and um George Harrison was talking about it on this uh, very program um Mr. Burns turned it down because he was too busy working on his movie and they, the whole band thought that was such a missed opportunity that they, they would have become like U2 level, Peter Gabriel level uh, live touring act if they had done that. And they never, they never toured again. So a lot of these songs, I feel like, man, they would just open up so amazingly if you could hear the entire like 10 piece Stop Making Sense tour version. Yeah. Oh, totally. I feel like this, this song is. Like it right now, it, it sounds like uh, of its so of its time, like with the choir and I think. But I think a lot of it, he also kind of started like the choir 
in the chorus became like a cliche within yeah, I, like three years. But I don't I, remember a lot of new wave music using choirs yeah. like this at the time. It was pretty new from what I can recall. I mean, you had Peter Gabriel. Uh, I, I, It's very weird saying Peter Gabriel to you, Ezra, by the way. Because I've heard you say it so many times. <laughs> um, but, oh, yeah. But uh, uh, Peter Gabriel or, uh, you know, Simple Minds, you know, like doing some... Or no, who am I? Uh, uh, Paul Simon. That's who I'm thinking of. They were they were doing a lot of, like, sure. sort of influence yeah, stuff but, like this. Graceland came out the same year as, as this. Yeah. All right. That's puzzling evidence. Ezra, I'm going to go to you again. What do you think? It's good. I, I actually kind of I'm like a little more into this song than Love for Sale, but because I yeah this one you can hear yeah also that that long term Talking Heads like kind of interest in like yeah roots music or gospel like even like you know the fact that they covered Take Me to the River. There's always been that kind of connection, so yeah. it, it makes sense. One thing I, I think, uh, and I, I thought this when I was listening to the record before, when you listen to the first two tracks. This record, more than any Talking Heads record, makes me think of the B-52s, mm. who always work. I've always, I don't know if they've, how often they've come up in your guys' conversations, but like the B- B-52s always struck me as kind of like a, I don't know, like a, like a, a, a bizarro version of Talking Heads. Interesting. Like I think Fred, Fred Schneider and David Byrne have something in common, but David Byrne is the slightly more like accessible, serious downtown New oh, York. Yeah. Well, I don't know about accessible, but I, in some ways, but he's like the downtown New York dude. Yeah. So I think everything he's doing is through the lens of like serious New York art. Whereas Fred Schneider is through um, camp, Southern camp in a way. Yeah. And he's actually, then I was looking him up. He actually grew up in New Jersey, but you know, he ended up in Athens, Georgia and yeah, he's got this, the Southern kitschy fun thing, which again, they're like not a million miles away from each other. And then yeah. I guess that I looked David Byrne, once started producing a B-52s album and it fell through. Yeah, well, mm. no, he he did do an EP. Uh, it, there's actually some uh, friction, apparently, between the band reading Chris Fartz's book uh, because Chris, oh. Chris Fartz feels like he was an early champion of the B-52s and uh, helped them out in their career. And then they asked Mr. Burns to produce. And Mr. Burns oh, produced right. the Mesopotamia EP, which is... Uh, really takes everything special about the B-52s and strips it out. <laughs> and it's mm. it's not it's not my favorite. I don't know if you know that EP, Ezra, but it's kind of the first misstep of the B-52s career, I think. Wait, but but so, Chris... <laughs> yes. I can't, I, you can't, I can't say it. I understand. But, no, but the drummer from Talking Heads, who recently <laughs> wrote a, a tell-all <laughs> salacious memoir, he... He felt he felt like he personally had championed the B fifty twos, and then they went to they went to, to Mr. Mr. Burns, Burns rather yeah. rather than him. Yes. Oh, he felt hurt. Like like I uh, think I mean, so. And, yeah, because he he produced. You know, he and Tina produced a lot of records, and, and they did great some great records. Yeah, they did yeah. great records, and he was kind of like too. You know, I don't know why they went with with. I, I I'm paraphrasing, obviously, and maybe putting too too much of my own. Uh, feeling about it, but it's that's what it seemed like uh, reading the book is that he was a little miffed that Mr. Burns got to produce that record, and then it 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 came out and was not uh, a big hit or anything. I see, but in- interesting, yeah, about the B fifty twos. There's a funny connection between between those bands, and also when you hear these songs, 
doesn't it kind of feel like as as different as those bands are, you suddenly start to be like on the trajectory that you could kind of see off of true stories. You're like, if the if talking had stayed together, would it have been that crazy if in 1989 they dropped Love Shack? Well, yeah, <laughs> like, I, honestly, you know like I mean? lis- listening to this, you can kind of hear like Poslan evidence. Yeah. you know, I mean, yeah. it's and, and and you know, within just a couple of years, Kate Pearson is working with REM and. Uh, yeah, so I can, I can see Mr. Burns doing Love Shack. I think that would be a good cover for him. Yeah. I mean, clearly more of a B-52 song, but like, yeah, not a million miles away. Yeah. No, I think that's a, a a good, uh, a good, uh, theory. Adam, what do you think of this song? It's almost like a pastiche, uh, of, of the, but again, someone learned a new word. (laughs) (laughs) Um, almost, it's almost like a pastiche. But it also, at the time, it was like a cool new mixing of sounds and a cool new sound for them, too. Because this is, uh, it is kind of taking that little creatures thing and injecting it with something else. I, I think it's 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 good, but it's not like, I guess it doesn't feel enough like Talking Heads or feels like they're going too outside the lines. It doesn't really feel like them, but... When I, when I, also, I listen to I, I like it, it, I... I, I was kind of like, oh, they're really going for mainstream singles. Um, these first for two songs, song? these first two songs to me, were, like, are obvious and you know, not a lot challenging about them, and 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 hooky in a way that it was like, oh, they're really is this even more so than Little Creatures, I think, which has just beautiful songs, but they're recorded a little more challengingly. This just mm. feel to me the first time I heard this, I was like. Oh, it's really loud and obvious, but I don't know that I like either of those songs mm. as much as any other Talking Head song I've ever heard, you know? Right. Uh, I think the album gets more challenging now as it progresses and gets a little more. But just those two just seem very like, hey, 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 you know, sort of like Fred Schneider. Mm. Hey, we're the single. Hey, let's hear track three. This is Hey Now by a band called Talking Heads. I put this on so many mixtapes back then. For uh, girls you were wanting to date, or? I don't want to get personal. (laughs) You've never gotten personal on this show. And I would love to hear the American Utopia band do this. Yeah, totally. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Are there any uh, True Story songs in he, American Utopia? No, he does do uh, Blind from Naked. That's the one, mm. like... That's like the late ta- song. Yeah, well, I mean, does, he, uh, well, he does Road to Nowhere. Called? Yeah. But um, Blind really felt like the kind of outlier, like, whoa, I didn't expect that. Hmm. I like this. Feels a little more yeah. classic Talking Heads to me for some reason. Yeah, th- th- this also takes me back to Talking Heads 77 a little. There's elements of it there. Mm-hmm. This could be straight out of a Vampire Weekend song, couldn't it? 
sort of oh, this totally. feel? That, that, that guitar part? Yeah. Is that the part you would play or one of your sidekicks? <laughs> that sounds like the kind of simplified part that I would play. Well, also, just to clarify, what we were talking about before, as you guys said, we have an incredible guitarist who... Uh, been touring part of our lives. Yeah, what's his Brian, name? Brian Jones. Brian Jones. Brian he's, Jones. So I want to give Brian a specific because he, he's an absolute shredder. Yeah, he was amazing. Like, yeah, he's like, and and he he seemed like he's having so much fun playing. Which it you know honestly watching your last uh, uh, Hollywood Bowl show kind of reminded me of like stop making sense of how the band there of musicians that were playing those songs like escalated it and took it to another level like a, a joyous rapturous level of like it was a celebration and that, that's how that uh, show felt like to me just everyone was having such a good time I think that w- once once you get past the, the typical four, four or five people in a band and you get into like like we have seven on stage and yeah that has the potential to just like feel and sound so different seven just that that number of people it's more like a party i think you should add a dj like incubus <laughs> i mean i i know some good djs just a guy scratching or, or just like a hype man just a guy to yeah. jump around on stage maybe the dude from the mighty mighty boss tones and i love mighty mighty but i'm a huge ska fan so yeah what's your uh uh or what wave third wave fourth wave Truly all of it. I mean, I, you know, because of of my age, I I got in via third wave, but then also second and first. And I used to always say that uh, Vampire Weekend was fourth wave ska. Oh, really? I I can see that. We didn't really really create a wave. We have one legitimate ska punk song. It's Holiday on our second album. Oh, yeah. This is a ska song. Mm, eh, eh. Yeah. Yeah, the Dance Craze soundtrack. I was so into that. Yes. That's second wave. Oh, yeah, yeah. That second wave? Yeah, I got in second wave. Yeah, like specials and, then, and... Yeah, specials. What's first wave? First wave is like all the Jamaican, legitimate Jamaican the, ska stuff from the 60s, yeah. 70s. That makes sense. And that, that stuff sense. sounds so good now. It's like recorded not very cleanly and it all... It it, it just sounds... I, I love it. I have a, a bunch of compilations of like old 60s ska stuff that's just like... I put it on oh, whenever yeah. I want to just like feel good. Which is never, it's by a, the way, because I hate myself. <laughs> <laughs> Once in a blue moon, yeah, no, the, all that all that stuff is amazing, and obviously directly flowed into reggae. Um, you like yeah. Bob Marley, all those guys. They were in essentially ska rock steady bands before. Um, let's go to uh, this is Wild Wildlife. This was the big single on the Wikipedia. It doesn't say whether. Um, this no, there's pic- Papa Legba first. Oh, sorry. Pa- I totally forgot about Papa Legba. I love this song. Let's go to Papa Legba. You hear that? That's spooky. Someone banging on a glass. This reminds me of mid-80s Oingo Boingo, this keyboard part. Yes. It reminds, yeah, it reminds to, me of the Midnight Run soundtrack. It's Danny such Elfman. a familiar uh, keyboard sound that I was like, uh, I meant to look it up. I was like, I'm sure it's like something that everybody was using then. Can you look up keyboard sounds on online? Oh, yeah, because cause like if you go, you know, uh, on, on some message board or something, you'll have people being like, 
oh, what do you think it is on this this song? And and people, somebody might be like, I know it was. They talked about it in the oh. documentary, or other people might fight it. Out. But yeah, it's often you'll find a community of people debating what what sound everything was. Do you have to when you record an album? Do you have to write down like every pedal setting and everything that you did when you recorded the album so you can replicate it live? Does that make sense? I think that that's what people would do if they're really being organized. And I think back in the day, that was, that kind of was the job of a studio assistant. And then, of course, like you know, nowadays you can use such sophisticated plugins like in the box that it would always be in the session. Like record but, it. Yeah. But you're right. If you say you bust out the pedal board and you record something in, and you didn't take a picture or write it down, that could be like the bane of your existence if you right. decide you need to go back. You, you can almost get lazier now because so many settings are saved in Pro Tools that uh, anything in the real world, like on, on an actual pedal, yeah, it'd be so easy to forget. Interesting. Huh. This sounds like the next album to me. It's, it's yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it definitely is a little more in the salsa rhythm. David Burns solo. Yeah. Uh, right. This is probably more what p- people were expecting on this record, I bet. I, w- yeah, I don't know. When I when I heard it, I I was definitely like, oh, this isn't a single, but it's it's always stuck with me. I really like this song. To me, it sounds like naked in the sense that parts of naked sound sound to me like they were out of ideas. <laughs> um, Ezra, what do you think about Papa Legba? Solid. It's got a it's got a title that I I would expect to see on one of your records. Yeah, but I was gonna wonder is, is Papa Legba like a person? Well, yeah. I mean, uh, Pops Staples sings it in the movie. So you got Papa right. and Pops. I, I I really don't know. Yeah, no. This I mean, this is like this reminds me more of of, of uh, kind of like speaking in tongues, kind of cool weird synth sounds. This also feels like a lot more open. The first three are like kind of intense. Yeah. This has like weird open, more minimalist vibe. It definitely is the last track on side one. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. where they're like, right. all right, we've 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 hooked you and now let's give you something a little weirder. All right, that's Papa Legba. Uh, and now this is the first track on side two. This was the big single that I was <laughs> itching to get to earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, this is Wild Wildlife and uh, by a band called Talking Heads. This part sounds different than anything they've done, which I like. Like, it sounds yeah. unique. Yeah. Does that make sense? Although, what I always think of this part is shattered by the rolling stones oh yeah mm-hmm. yeah which which is a different vibe for them totally shattered Oh, 
Finally, some shredding. <laughs> they get Just in a good vibe. Yeah. Yeah. A, they get into some good shredding a little later. Let me try to find the uh, the guitar solo part here. I feel like this is this. A, this is perfect. Yeah, it's like th- this is obviously they're very far away from like Remain in Light, like yeah. six minute crazy song. But this is simple. But it, yeah, this is like a perfect late 1986 simple talking head song. Yeah. Here it comes. Oh, yeah, I love this. So good. Is that George Harrison? I think it probably is. I mean, when you got a Beatle. When you got a beetle on the band, you let him shred. Um, Ezra, what do you think? Yeah, just a great song, and and I was also think like like you guys were saying before, uh, you know this maybe fa- like the sales falling off a bit from uh, Little Creatures, the last one, but I've always thought like the. When, when you look after the fact that like a, a band's whole discography, if you can say like on one of the weaker albums, it still like produces something like this, just yeah. like a, a great single like this. You're like, yeah, that's why the Talking Heads rule. Like on later this- periods, Stones records, you know, where where maybe the wheels are coming off. Still, they would have like one or two classic steel wheels come are coming up. Yeah, <laughs> Adam, <laughs> this is why you're my sidekick on this show. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I love this end part, by the way. I wanna, I wanna hear a little bit of it because I wanted to mention one thing. I love that tape speeding up effect. It's yeah, that's cool. It's so good. And then my friend, who I've I've mentioned on this show before. Uh, uh, San Luis Obispo music legend Casey Bowman from Rhythm Akimbo. He put out a uh, a solo single at one point, and I was listening to it. And this came out. Uh, let's see, this came out in uh, 2010. I was listening to it. He did. He did my friend Doug Binz's song. He did a cover of it. And at the end, I was like, "What is that from?" Let me just play a little bit of this. And I was like, "That sounds familiar." Okay, so he he did this whole song, and then at the end, he like replicated oh, wow. the he replicated Whoa. the entire. That's cool. And I was like, "What is that from? What is that from?" And then suddenly it just hit me like a thunderbolt. Like, oh, he he totally replicated Wild Wildlife. Um, okay, so we have uh, a few. Scott, are you a big fan of that song? I definitely like it. If 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 we're talking about the pantheon of Talking Head songs. It's if we're talking about from Haim to Rashida, <laughs> it's probably it's probably in the middle for me. Like it's uh, for, for me, it's it's not one of my favorites. Uh, but it, it was a good single. I, I when and it is came that out because it was such a big hit that you got sick of it thirty years ago. Or whatever? No, I just I think it was my feeling with this whole record. I was I, you couldn't be more amped for a Talking Heads record than me. I mean. Um, you know, uh, Ezra, we were talking about how they they never toured again after Stop Making Sense. Like, mm. uh, growing up here in L.A., I would read the L.A. Times, the calendar section, and in the back uh, uh, of the Sunday version, they had all of the ticket scalper or the ticket brokers would, would have ads. 
where you could, mm. they were saying like, put your deposit down for tickets for Talking Heads. And I was always like, there's one band I want to see. It's Talking Heads. And I was like considering putting a deposit down with a ticket broker to see them. And they never, they never toured again. And, and so you couldn't be more amped for a record than I was. And I remember just being after being like, huh, huh. Just a little disappointed. A little disappointed, yeah. Mm. See, you know what's, you know what's weird is that... It, in in that situation, which I've been with bands a lot over the years, it takes me years to actually get disappointed because when I'm that excited for an for an album, no matter what it is, I love it and think it's great. Yeah, it's and the it, it's the Phantom it's Menace. Like effect. Phantom Menace. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, we've talked about it. Ezra. Are you a, a big uh, Star Wars fan? I'm not a big Star Wars person. What What do you like? Logan's Run? What are you? I mean, what's a What's an artistic guy <laughs> well, like you? <laughs> Well, when there was a time, I no longer feel this way. But when when I first saw the, as far as sci-fi goes, the Fifth Element in 1997, when I was 13, yeah. for at least two years after that, I said that's my favorite movie of all time. Yeah, yeah sure. I, um, I remember seeing it, and I was, I think, 26, and coming out of the theater, going, "I will never watch that again." I remember coming out of the theater and and being like, "I'm way too stoned still." <laughs> Yeah. You, and you still feel that way. I do. Um, let's go to track There's six. Some cool stuff in that movie. Track yeah, six of is. nine. There's awesome stuff. I remember it just not making sense and all. And speaking of stop making sense. And I remember we would always make fun of it by talking about how the fifth element was love, um, which was like sort of the moral of it at the end. <laughs> Yeah, that's like does doesn't she she's she's like a robot or an alien or something like that, Mia Jovovich, and she like looks through the entire catalog of human history. I feel like this was one of the first times I saw this cliche, and she's like watching old newsreels about everything, and then she gets to Hitler yes. and starts crying. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. There there's a few corny parts. Overall though, it's like the 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 design, the clothes. Yeah. Yeah, cool Chris shit. Tucker's hairstyle. Oh, Chris Tucker just kills it. And Incredible. then Bruce Willis just being cranky, cranky old Bruce Willis. It's like yeah. good role for him. Yeah. Great cast. Great cast. Um, that's what I said after I broke my leg uh, to the doctor. <laughs> um, let's hear Radiohead. This is a song called, uh, not the band Radiohead, but a song called Radiohead. This is track six on True Stories by the band Talking Heads. Which is where Radiohead got their name, right? Yeah. It certainly is. Good eye. I think this is my favorite song on, on the album. This sounds kind of classic. I love this. It's a cool song. Although it sounds nothing like the band Radiohead. <laughs> At all. Never once did they sound like this. What if their next record was exactly like this? Would you like it? I would. I, I, could, I could see it in a weird way. I, I, I just don't know how Tom York's voice would sound singing on this kind of thing. You know, there are some singers who can sing anything, any style of music, and it sounds good. I don't know. Tom York needs that sort of icy, cold indifference, doesn't he? I can't think of anything too close. One thing, one thing I can think of, like back in the Napster days, I had an MP3 of Radiohead covering an Elvis Costello song called I'll Wear It Proudly. Oh, yeah. I think they, they, they played that like four from or five. From Spike, I, don't know, I may, think, right? Yeah, from sometime, yeah, late 80s. And they, you know, it's, it's really not a Tom York type song, but it's more of a folky kind of like acoustic-y Irish song in a way. Yeah, yeah, it's got, it's got definitely got some of that. 
and I just always thought he sounded great singing it, and I was like, oh, maybe that's definitely not the direction they've gone in over the past 20 years, but who knows? I had in those early Napster days, I had uh, them singing Nobody Does It Better, the James Bond theme. Oh, yeah. That sounds awesome. What if... What if Radiohead just turned into a covers band? <laughs> well, they, I, I think they used to do more covers, and then they just wrote a bunch of awesome songs, <laughs> and we're like, I guess we don't like need to a, do this like anymore. Like a bar, a cover bar band, like they would cover just like Journey and the Eagles. They just became, that would be awesome. I mean, Pearl Jam kind of does that. Live. Yeah, true. Yeah, they do a lot of like split end songs and all sorts of stuff. Pearl Jam will easily drop. Seven covers in a set. Let's hear. I would love to see Pearl Jam again. Me like, too. It, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be? I we were supposened to go see them, and then COVID happened, and oh god. They had that real Talking Headsy single oh, on their new album. So That's good, a good song. Let's hear uh, Radiohead's "Nobody Does It Better" to hear what I'm talking about. What James Bond movie is this from? Uh, the Spy Who Loved Me. The Spy, right? Because she just randomly says this, the yeah. Spy Who Loved Me in the song. <laughs> there have been so many good James Bond songs. It's crazy. Yeah, it's insane. What do you think of the new Billie Eilish? Oh, she did a James Bond song? Yeah, isn't it crazy that, that she released her James Bond theme and then the the movie was supposed to come out in two months. That's That was like the lead time of like two months before the movie comes out. I'm going to drop the single. She drops it. And then COVID, Uh, boom, immediately happens and James Bond gets delayed forever. And then finally James Bond is going to come out this Thanksgiving. And so she drops the video. And then literally two days later, they delay it again. (laughs) It's like the worst timing for her. I mean, that's got to be like a musician's uh, nightmare. Wait, did Radiohead do a James Bond song? They wrote one for Spectre and it was not used. But it's oh, right. a yeah because they have a song a, called Spectre. Yeah, yeah, it's a bonus track. Let's hear a little bit of that. Um, yeah, that's always interesting when when hugely famous bands on spec essentially like write these songs for James Bond and then they don't get used. It's so crazy to me. This is Spectre. Well, is it? Yeah, like you, a... you, you... sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say because you can't and also. Maybe because of loving uh, the Carly Simon song, you can't imagine that Radiohead would even do it. Because you can't imagine, obviously there's a lot of musicians who if somebody says like, hey guys, we, we need a song for like, yeah. whatever. Well, you, you, and, know, uh, start- step- you and Step Brothers. Oh yeah, but we didn't write that for yeah, Step Brothers. True. Although that would be an amazing story if, if, we, if we did. But wait, we've, we've written... Um, well, we we kind of for Nick and Nora's. And, yes, yeah, Ottoman, which is a song I, I wrote the guitar riff for that actually when I was in high school, so I was always kind of sitting on it. For the listener, but, by the way, Ezra is miming playing the guitar. Oh yeah, I wrote that. <laughs> gun, 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 gun. But then uh, I like that song a lot. We've yeah yeah I think that thank you that's a that's a slept on song of ours. Yeah, and, I love that one. So is that sort of put together specifically for the movie then? Well, I had this riff, old riff, and then, yeah, it kind of came together. So we finished it for the movie, 
And then I think we... Oh, I, I wrote a song for the Peter Rabbit movie. Whoa! I guess oh, those yeah, are the two experiences. I don't think I've heard that one. Oh, thank you. Well, are you the, saying thank you to like, me? <laughs> I said I haven't heard it. <laughs> oh, no. I was like, <laughs> well, I'm saying thank you to both of you. <laughs> well, you, I appreciate you, it. You, Scott, for your honesty. <laughs> and Adam, <laughs> for your... <laughs> I like the way you. I like the way you operate. Now I, I kind of see why they didn't use this. It's like not it's, exactly. It's dramatic, but it's not very hooky. But I'm just saying, like you can imagine that you get these as a musician. You get these giant cattle calls all the time for stuff where they're like, "Oh, this, uh, you know, Rio Five wants a song. Like, do you want to throw something out there?" And you know, it depends on how badly you need money or if you yeah, yeah. Uh, if if you like have any connection to anybody working on the movie but you can imagine Radiohead they might nine times out of ten somebody might be like Radiohead are you interested in writing the theme for a movie they'd probably say fuck off yeah. they must actually have an, as some sort of an emotional an affinity to yeah, James exactly. Bond that, yeah, that's yeah. how I feel I mean Tom York did write uh, a song for the Twilight movie uh, but this, this essentially, he put the spec in Spectre oh. and, and just... We uh, did a Twilight song, too. Oh, Wait, yeah, Tom that's York right. Did a, yeah, I think you, York did one? you might be on the same uh, record. Let's look that oh, up. Oh, I'm, su- I'm surprised Tom York did it. Okay, uh, let's look up the Twilight albums that uh, I have here. There's Terror Twilight by Pavement. Okay, so there's... Which one are you on? Are you on Eclipse or are you on New Moon? Um, I think Eclipse. Okay, so you're on Eclipse, and uh, no, uh, Tom York is not on that. He is on New Moon, uh, and where exactly is he? He is... What Vampire Weekend song is that? Is on the uh, Twilight movie? It's... Hearing Damage is uh, the one that Tom York did. Oh. Our, our, our song is called um, Jonathan, Jonathan Lowe. Lowe. And, oh, yeah. And... That one also has its roots in a, in a song I, I started in high school. This is a little um, bit of Jonathan Lowe. This is actually our most U2 song. Oh, yeah. I think I got this as a B-side. Like, later on. Yeah, we, we actually put it up ourselves on, on the streaming services oh, for yeah, a long yeah, time. Okay. It wasn't available. We're just like... Yeah, I see the u 2 in this. Yeah, we could have some fun... Like, I don't know if this would have fit on any of our albums. I like it. This is, a, this is a fun one to play live every now and then. Yeah, I bet. I'm surprised Tom Tom York did the did the Twilight soundtrack. I wonder what was going through his head. If he yeah, I don't books. know. I mean, you know, I was I was talking to Matthew Sweet when we went to see the movie Bucky Larson together. Um, and um, uh, I, I love that, by the way. Matthew Sweet, I, I grew up a huge Matthew Sweet fan. I mean, the, the album Girlfriend I listened to over oh, and yeah. over and, play, and played uh, when I was breaking up with a girlfriend, used to play uh, on my guitar, used to play You Don't Love Me over and over again to where my roommates were like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> so uh, I had Matthew Sweet on, on my podcast, the uh, uh, infinitely more successful Comedy Bang Bang podcast. And... Uh, after after afterwards, he was like, "Hey, do you want to go see a movie? You want to go see Bucky Larson?" <laughs> and I was like, "Hell yeah, I do!" Uh, so we went Wait, to what is what is Bucky Larson? I uh, that it, one. It's my friend Nick Swartzen's uh, starring oh, turn uh, as like an Bucky a, Larson Child's 
former child star or something, oh, something right. like that. Yeah, it's a Happy Gilmore production. Yes, yes. So we went to see we went to see that together um, and had a good time. But I remember him telling me that back in the '90s, being on a soundtrack like was such an influx of cash, and it had all dried up essentially by uh, the end of the Napster era. Like like he. He, I used to collect his soundtracks, like the Flipper soundtrack or the Ace Ventura 2 soundtrack, just because he would have a song on it. And mm. that that apparently was like a good source of income for musicians. Oh, I bet. Well, yeah. Also, just pre-streaming, even if you had one song on an album. Like, like people, uh, I always heard the story that, uh, what's his name? Um, Nick Lowe, who wrote. What's what's so funny? What's about so funny? Who, all, yeah, he he essentially. I t- I asked him about this on my show. He was able to finance a whole tour just from being on the Bodyguard soundtrack. Yeah, that must have been huge for him. Actually, this is not a soundtrack, but I've I've often thought about this too. Is that David Byrne co-wrote and sings on one song on the Big Selena album, which is so random. Whoa, but you really? you imagine that when. Yeah, when Selena was did her big English language album, the the big hit was, uh, "I'll be I'll be dreaming of you tonight" or whatever. I'm thinking of you tonight. You know, when tomorrow I'll be holding you tight. It was like mm. a big ballad. Mm-hmm. So that's a massive hit. And then, of course, with her tragic death, that's her was her latest album. It's huge. And then some A and R person was like, "Hey, David Byrne, like you're interested in like." Texas and like world music and shit. And so there's like a, a duet between David Byrne and Celine on that same album. Whoa. So I always think like that album probably sold like 15 million copies or oh, something. Yeah. Like, yeah. Dave, David Byrne probably was like, oh, all right. You know, because on an old album like that, a traditional album, it doesn't matter if you wrote the hit right. or the uh, the weird David well, Byrne well, album the, track. There are, are peers of yours, I think, who like essentially wrote a hook on a Beyonce record or something. and th- And that has to be a hugely, uh, uh, I mean, oh, I wrote the Buco, hook on a Beyonce. Yeah, you, yeah, you did, right? But, yeah. 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 So but, that's like Buco Dolores. Like, how many bozos did you get for that? Well, in that case, the the song ended up having a million uh, writers, and and a lot of what I wrote was quoting yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think I so gave how, them a nice present. How, but I, how many but bozos? I'm a, I'm a producer on it. How many bozos? Wait, and I. I missed the beginning. How how many bozos? What's the exchange current exchange rate? Yeah, with the current <laughs> with the current exchange rate. Yeah, how much? How many bozos did you get from that? Okay, I'm checking online. Um, <laughs> looks like a ninety-seven thousand bozos. Ninety-seven thousand bozos. That's nine hundred and seventy thousand dollars. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, no, I, maybe I got the math wrong. <laughs> oh, maybe you did. Um, I feel like we have to get back to Talking Heads, don't we? <laughs> yeah, there, there's just two more songs, I think. Uh, there are three, but uh, this one is called Dream Operator by Talking Heads. This is an unusual one. Oh, yeah. It's like long instrumental beginning. And, and a waltz. Yeah, I was like... I was thinking, like, what does this sound like? Not talk Doesn't... Nightmare Before Christmas? A little bit.
taking their time. That rootsy, bendy guitar playing. Yeah. As I said, this whole album made me think of Brothers in Arms, Dark Souls yeah, interesting. Because it is like, a lot of these songs... I do think this is a cool album, but it, I can't help but compare some of the the highlights to uh, like Dire Straits' Walk of Life, which yeah. is a high bar for just like a cool 80s rootsy kind right. of jam. Totally. Dire Straits and like that, that Dire Straits, Traveling Wilburys, it all seems like very much uh, sort of in the vein of... of there's a certain like revival of those types of sounds going on now with mm-hmm. um, God, like war on drugs and stuff. War on drugs, yeah, essentially like that late '80s, '80s roots, kind, yeah, revival. With, yeah, the '80s roots revival. But yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff in that music. Uh, what do we think about Dream Operator? I like this song. I, it is I a good. It's really pretty. It's the one I, I always forget about. Like, I can never hum it, or when I look at the title, I kind of go, what is this one? But but it's also a little more challenging and, I guess, technically beautiful than the other stuff on, than some of the other stuff on the record. I also think that if he were to put this in American Utopia, it would kill. Mm. It's like yeah. a really nice lyric and a hopeful, optimistic song, and hearing it with that band would be cool. I, th- I really feel like talking about this and, and I'm thinking about it. If, if Talking Heads had stayed together and they'd kept making albums past Naked, I think eventually in the 90s they probably would have made another like kind of late masterpiece type totally. vibey album. Yeah. And yeah. you could imagine, and if they had toured that whole time, who knows? Maybe, yeah. maybe they could have been. They, yeah, I think they could they, have been playing. You know, Fish always plays Talking Head songs. They could have been like playing shows with Fish. They could have been like a huge live. Yeah, band. yeah. No, I, I, there, there. I mean, there's definitely an alternate universe where the songs that Mr. Burns wrote for his solo records become Talking Heads records, and you know, a, a lot of his solo records are kind of dodgy. They, they maybe would have been improved by uh, having Talking Heads play on them. I don't know. There was something that happened between. Writing the song and bringing it to the band because the songwriting was. I mean, there are great David Byrne songs, but yeah, it's not as consistent. Certainly, not as consistent. I think consistency is yeah, really the the story of most of his. I like that one. Um, all right, let's go to track eight. This is people like us. Uh, I think this is a, a a really good one just to give you a preview. But this is people like us by Talking Heads. I forgot about this too. Yeah, I like the pedal steel. This is cool. I think this, is, this has a great chorus and a great verse melody, and which, to me, add those two together and you have a great song. <laughs> I'm no musician, but... <laughs> was David Byrne actually born in 1950? I, I was wondering that or whether he's doing it in character when I heard it earlier today. That's Thank you for asking that. Uh, no, he's born in 1952. Liar. So he's in character doing this, yeah. Yeah. Like 
So, really cool. The only... It's just so straightforward, much like yeah. all of this record, you know? There's there's definitely the pedal steel is the one thing happening on it that's, like, taking it to another level. But... Oh, and I guess that... Is there an accordion that I hear? Is there an accordion that I hear? <laughs> there's a lot of accordion on this album. Like Zydeco instrumentation, maybe? Yeah. Oh, totally. Steve Jordan did the accordion on Radiohead. Um... And Tommy Morell is doing the pedal steel on um, this and the next song. It just sometimes like at the, it, it's starting to fill out, but it still feels sparse. Like this whole album feels like it has a lot of air. Like it was almost unfinished. I don't know. Mm. What would you do? Ezra, as a professional musician, what would you add in there? Well, I, I, I this is how I feel about a lot of productions from this era is that I feel like it's, it gets a little bit caught in between. You could either add to it, or you could strip it down even further. Like, because there's not, it's not like uh, the first two records have more elements than what's happening here. It, it like truly is the production, like the sound of the drums and stuff. So I could picture this being even like smaller and sparser, and mm. it might be a little cooler. Mm. But I, yeah, I think it's a pretty good song, and uh, and I guess also like I think even though like you were saying they're they're only somewhat related, the I, I went back and watched some scenes in the movie too to like get ready. And which I think is a really cool, weird movie. We're not and talking about the movie I'm, today, though. Oh, okay. We're not. Ta- are you going to talk about the movie? I got to shut you down, Ezra. We're not talking about the movie. Okay, off limits. Yeah, that's that's yeah. definitely not happening right now. All right, that's a separate. Pod- we, that's a podcast called I Love Films, and this is not that podcast. <laughs> we're we're doing you talking talking heads to my talking head right now. So I'm going to have to insist that all talk of film ceases immediately. All right, it doesn't exist. It do- it doesn't exist, as Adam once said. <laughs> remember that, Adam? True. Yes, I do. <laughs> I do remember that. <laughs> you're one of your most famous quotes. <laughs> but I okay, I would just say I won't talk about the film. But yeah, tr- stay away from the film, but make your point. I think all all of the, the 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 simple songs on this record and the the Americana gestures and stuff, it all. It, it's the the more that you see it through like the the lens of like David Burns like like weird interests in this time period about mm-hmm. like you know the big open skies of the American heartland and just kind of like how the kind of bizarre feeling that exists underneath the like normalcy of American life so you know like if you look at it through that lens these songs I find I I, they, I start to appreciate them more I and see. they open up. Yeah, you know what I mean. I do know what you mean. I I was watching the uh, Tom Petty Peter Bogdanovich documentary last night. I watched the first part of it. Oh, so good. I thought I thought uh, it was interesting that Tom Petty loved cowboy stuff. Like he grew up just loving everything having to do with cowboys, like cowboy aesthetic. Like more than aesthetic, just like you know TV shows and movies, cowboys. I mm. thought that was really interesting. I wondered if that played into... You know, the, I don't think they ever mentioned... I've only watched half of it at this point, but I don't think they ever mentioned it playing any part in his music. But um, 
I, I see what you're saying, Ezra, that when you listen to this, if you are thinking of the thing we dare not speak of, the movie, <laughs> um, it, it does play into that sort of widescreen, Dust Bowl Americana kind of vision. Yeah, like the dude in a cowboy hat, but like pulling up to like a, a giant mall parking lot. Again, you're you know, you're like, describing scenes from this I, movie. No, no, I'm describing no, I'm describing an image. Oh, an image in, in your mind, head. In oh, okay. my mind's eye. I will accept that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is the last song. This is City of Dreams, and um, this is by a band, Talking Heads. think guys god i know this album well i'm realizing like i listened to this a lot back then this this i feel like it it if only we had been able to hear what the band would do with a live version or if mr burns were to incorporate this into his american utopia or live sets these days i would love to hear a live version of it that took it to another level i think it's so beautiful and and it feels a little unfinished to me, a little like like it could be a road to nowhere, and this makes it feel like a little mm. like uh, and not an afterthought, but just not not taking it up a notch as I would expect the band to do. Spare, but not in like a super good way. Like it's a little too spare for what it is. It needs right. more. Ezra, you, you, first of all, you have your hand on your chin like like uh, the the famous statue, the Thinker, which leads me to believe that you are cooking up something interesting in that noggin of yours. Hit us with it, my man. No, I, I I think I think uniformly it's 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 strong songwriting on this record. But yeah, I agree with you guys. Like the you can't help but want to hear it either produced differently or live or just or just something a little different and then now i'm thinking too like i wonder how much hearing this record and the themes and the references i wonder if david byrne like spent a lot of time with like brother brothers in arms or like born in the usa if he because like the i love that idea in theory like david byrne getting really into like dire straits or like the you know 
or, or Mr. Burns saying like, I'm going to, I'm going to make my Springsteen album. We're just like, oh, this is played on the radio quite a bit. But talking about making of Born in the USA, where they like try to grapple with the similar themes of like modern life in America and American history and what does it mean to be American, which I think the song's partially going yeah. for with the kind of like, you know, the history of the, the continent. Yeah. Um, I, I do love it in theory. Uh, but yeah, I agree that there's there's a lot of gestures towards it on this album that that maybe could have gone a bit further. Who wore it better? Talking Heads or The Killers when it comes to doing a Springsteen-influenced Americana? Uh, are you talking about Samstown? Yeah, Samstown. Pretty much everything Samstown on from The Killers. Ezra? Yeah. Well, I mean... What do we think? <laughs> I mean, you got to go with The Killers, of course. But to, to be fair, you know, Talking Heads did a lot of things. I, I think with The Killers, they also had the... Uh, the decades to kind of process and reprocess the, those vibes. And then, of course, there's the fact that, you know, David Byrne, he'll always be rooted in the downtown New York art weirdo thing, whereas, like, Brandon is... Brandon's more Springsteen than Springsteen, in a sense. You know, like, growing up and... Like, I, I love Springsteen partially because... I, w- I would you know, love to hear you say that to Springsteen's face. <laughs> oh, well... See this dude Mr. over here? If you're li- <laughs> and Mr. Mr. Springsteen, if you're listening, I'm a huge fan. No, what I'm saying is, like, maybe because I'm from New Jersey, I- I've always thought it's, like, so amazing that Springsteen, who started so, like, all the songs are about New York and New Jersey, then he makes an album called Nebraska, and he's, like, such an imaginative songwriter that he can, like, step into different people's shoes. And even though he's so regional, he became kind of like this voice of America, telling the story of this, the whole giant nation. And I guess... If you you could picture a Springsteen song that's about somebody who grew up on like the outskirts of uh, Las Vegas and started a band or something, right? Like right. you could picture yeah. Springsteen crafting that, but that's actually who Brandon is. Like he's yeah. from the 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 town in the de- the showbiz he's like town a in the desert. Character in a Springsteen song. Yeah. So I guess all I'm saying is that Springsteen created a rich world, and Brandon like is very entitled to like that that inspiration. It makes a lot of sense. I have to uh, give a shout out to Springsteen's new documentary about his new record, which uh, I listened to the record and I was like, yeah, I like this. It's good. And then I watched the documentary and it's uh, incredible, I think. So just where where do you watch the documentary? Well, it's uh, at Adam's new home on Apple, Apple Plus. Um, The album's good. The album's good. But I tell you, hearing what the songs are about and him talking about it's basically like him doing Springsteen on Broadway, but just about this record. Cause he writes it and he gets very poetic about talking about every song. Did you see Springsteen mm-hmm. on Broadway, uh, Ezra? No, I missed all the Broadway shows. <laughs> so from Oklahoma, South Pacific, Book of Mormon, Hamilton, you haven't seen any of these? No, I, I saw some of those, but I started <laughs> with Springsteen on Broadway. I missed that. Then I missed American Utopia. Oh, right, yes. Then... The musical shows. Yeah, well, um, yeah. Uh, uh, anyway, the, I would love, like, Springsteen on Broadway is so great. Just him talking in these magnificent, magnificently written passages about his past in the songs. And he kind of continues that with the new record. And, and every song on the new record he talks about in this, like, incredibly poetic way <laughs> and then here mm. i mean it's a song it, it's an album where he's grappling essentially with death and uh it's uh it was really powerful i thought so i just want to give a shout out to that i thought it was cool oh sick i'm definitely gonna check that out well you have a lot of homework 
Um, oh, yeah. You know, which uh, when you come back, we're going to check you on. Yeah, maybe you'll come back after the Talking Heads reunion tour that we'll have to talk about when they reunite, make a new album, and then tour. Also, I would imagine we're going to have a lot of time to record podcasts when we're on tour with you, singing the backups uh, on, <laughs> right. on your new record. So, yeah. Um, you know, we'll, we'll have a lot of downtime, you know, I'm sure we'll watch a little bit of TV, but mainly it's going to be us broing out and, and talking <laughs> about music and, and, uh, making sure that you've watched the two things we've asked you to watch. <laughs> oh, I will. I'm, I'm going to prepare. Um, how do we feel about this record in general? I mean, obviously we've talked about it, uh, uh, a little bit, but can we sum up our feelings, uh, about it? It's not my favorite Talking Heads record, but I think a few songs, Wild Wildlife, Hey Now is fun, Radiohead is cool. I think that it's got enough to certainly merit its place in their catalog. And, uh, you know, they have a very high bar. But mm-hmm. I think actually, and, and hearing more about the history of this period, I, I, I think it is an interesting record. And I think uh, my only wish is that we got to see more of like, we got to see more than one last record after this one. Because I think this record might even sit better if there were like another four after it, yeah, right? You know, yeah. like nar- narrative. Yeah, where where we were able to go, Good like, oh, oh, okay, that was such an interesting Good period call, in there. Instead, it feels <laughs> it feels to me like, weirdly enough, it feels like the last real Talking Heads record. It does because mm. Naked feels so much like a David Byrne solo project solo-y in a way, thing. which it is, and we'll talk about how they made it. But it's it it really feels like the band ended here in a lot of ways and ended not on like the strongest note but on a good note like i like you say adam i i listened to this over and over and over and like you say i know these songs really really well so yeah um but it just sort of pales in comparison when when you're looking at super commercial talking heads records like little creatures and this one it pales a little bit in comparison to the previous yeah and speaking in tongues which is yeah, a huge album and just mm. so incredible. I mean, this is really good songwriting, like Ezra said. It's just maybe a little flavorless in spots, but some really great stuff on it. Sounds like uh, Cool Ops lasagna last night. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> but flavorless only in some spots. <laughs> only in some spots. Ezra, we want to thank you so much for being on. It's always uh, great to talk to you and yeah, thanks, to, man. to hear your expertise. Oh, no, I I love coming on. Thanks for having me. Maybe someday you'll do a podcast about us. That would be cool. Maybe that'll that'll be the next step. We <laughs> go through really each cool. each era. Are you of still the doing uh are you still doing Time Crisis? Yeah, we still do Time Crisis. You guys got to come back on. Yeah, definitely. You know, the Subway series. I don't say that to uh to to get us back on, but I just uh any, anything oh, you yeah, want yeah. anything you want to plug? Uh th- that show is on weekly still or Yeah, we it's well it's bi-weekly. Ah. So every two weeks just on, like it's us. on Apple Music Bye. and um <laughs> there's that. Let's see Vampire's got four records in stores now, working on a fifth. Yeah, that's about it. Uh, anything your wife up to that we can uh, plug? She's got that new movie out. Uh, oh yeah, on, on that platform we were talking about, Adam's new yes, home. She, check out On the Rocks with Rashida, Bill Murray, directed by Sofia Coppola. I haven't seen it yet. I can't wait. Oh, it's a great movie. It's on Apple Plus, and also you know because we're talking about music here. You know, Sofia's husband is is a legend as oh, well, yeah. Phoenix Toma from Phoenix, and. 
the and they did a lot of they did some original music. For, there's a lot of cool music in oh, the movie. Cool. And I went to that uh that show they did at the at the where where they took their huge like Hollywood Bowl lighting, their their big like not arena lighting, but uh, maybe arena lighting. Did they, were they playing arenas? I'm not sure, but they took their huge lighting rig yeah. and they played a, a a small club here in Hollywood. Oh, the Fonda. Yeah, they played the Fonda with that oh, huge. I heard about those shows. Oh yeah, it was incredible to what to be in this tiny club with these huge lights going off, and it was such a good show. Those guys are so good. Oh, yeah, Phoenix Rules. Yeah, big fan. Um, if you could uh, swap bands, would you? Would you be in Phoenix? And he um, he would be in Vampire Weekend, or are you so protective of the Vampire Weekend legacy that you wouldn't want him fucking with it? No, I I trust him a lot, and I, I they are that that's a great band. It's like all the members of the band are you know getting to know them here and they're very nice people. And um, I would actually if we had to do a a swap with anybody, I well then I get to go get to go to Paris to that's where, that's where they write and they got their studio and stuff. So that would be a decent one. I'm picturing more like that TV show wife swap where it's like just for a yes. couple weeks. That's what I was thinking of too. If, if, you, swap. Yeah. if you could do a wife <laughs> swap, swap though with anyone, who would you do it with? Oh, that's, uh, Ew. that's <laughs> Wait, tell you what, I'll, Ad, I'll save that one. If you had to do a wife swap with Adam <laughs> or me, who would you pick? Ew. <laughs> it's Scott, suddenly a competition. It <laughs> put it away. No, no, Thank I'm going to think Ezra. very. I'm going to think very deeply about this. I'm going to please do. Watch those two things yeah. and then think yes. about who you want to do a wife swap with. Um, that is going to do it for us. Thank you to Ezra, and uh, we are. We will see you. We're bi-weekly as well. We'll see you in a couple weeks. And until then, we certainly hope that you found what you're looking for. Bye.